0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to Real Hawk Talk with Brian Emhauser, myself, and uh, today, uh, co-host, Nathan Ernst. Hey, Nathan, how you doing?
1: Pretty good. How's it going?
0: Yeah, it's going all right. It's going all right. Some things are really good, and we'll talk about those. Some things are not as good. Um, we'll talk about those as well. Um, we've got an amazing show tonight. Um, uh, we've got Natalie Weiner, uh, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. We'll check that when she comes on. Uh, She'll be joining us here in just a few minutes. Um, She's uh, covered music with Billboard Magazine. Um, She uh, now works for Bleacher Report. Done some great work. Super smart, fun, great personality. Excited to have her on board. Then um, we're going to talk a little bit more about the game. We'll talk about that with Natalie. We'll talk about it amongst ourselves. Then at 8, we're hopefully um, going to be joined by Jeff Simmons, who uh, is at a softball game. We've got a softball problem on the Hawk Blogger podcast, as we've started to realize. Um, and uh, in addition to Jeff, we're going to have Kenny Main of ESPN fame um, joining us. And uh, I was just talking with Kenny on the phone. We have to cross our fingers that he can remember his Gmail password, so he can actually log into the Hangout. That's, everyone's got to put in a good prayer there that, that Kenny figures that out in the next hour. And then we will have uh, Kenny Main on as a second guest. So two guests tonight, big show, um, and as always, want to start by thanking Hawk Blogger patrons um, who have joined up and signed up. So that's at Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Hawk to sign up. We've got a private Facebook community where we talk to the, the team, um, talk to us, the team being the Hawk Blogger team. Um, you know, we've got access to some pro football focus grades that that the patrons have helped us purchase. Um, There's a bunch of stuff that uh, is great on there. So I encourage you all to sign up, encourage you to subscribe if you haven't already. Um, this is growing. This channel's just really started and um, we're growing really quickly. So excited to have you. And we've got a bunch of sponsors and, and, and the first one I want to just talk about today is, uh, Altitude Homes. So, uh, (laughs) lots of movement going on in general. Um, great time to come to, to this area if you haven't already um, uh, a lot of stuff going on job-wise John Hurlbutt is a friend of mine he works at altitude homes um, for every closed transaction real estate transaction that they do they're going to donate an additional $500 to Ben's fund um, which benefits parents uh, who can't afford expensive autism treatment so this is a huge um, thing that we do. We're hoping to raise $20,000 this year overall at Hawk Blogger with all of our proceeds going there. Um, you can go to Altitude Homes. They serve South King, Pierce, and Thurston counties. Uh, you can get to them at altitude-re-hb, or you can um, call them at 253-222-2626 and just mention that you heard about it on Real Hawk Talk um, or on hawkblogger.com. So, uh That's just the first of many uh, great sponsors we'll talk to you about tonight, but while we're waiting for Natalie to join uh, Nathan, um, you know, what was your first thought, uh, you know, after that game finished on Sunday?
1: I kept waiting for them to win. Uh, That is the game that they kind of usually pull out in the end, Uh, so I was really, Surprised that they never got the ball back in the end. Um,
0: A six-minute drive. that That's impressive, you know, to close the game out, especially against that defense.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, they gave up 17 points, you know, set some of those off the, the turnover. Uh, so overall, very good job of the defense. But that that drive to kill the game was, was pretty brutal. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously the offensive line was atrocious. Um I've uh, had a chance to go through some of the All-22 now, and, you know, there wasn't a lot going on. The, the receivers weren't helping a ton. Um, it's not like guys were running open and Russ just didn't have time, you know. Um, I mean, Russ definitely didn't have time, but uh, there weren't those obvious plays like, ah, oh, he was open or whatever. So uh, just a really, really really rough offensive performance i think all around um which was pretty disappointing this is the second year in a row now you know after uh the miami game last year i think pete came out and said that he was surprised that they only scored like nine or 12 or whatever points they they scored in that game um and then they seemed just as shocked this time around uh so uh, hey guys hey it's natalie
0: natalie (laughs) welcome
2: to the show thank you thank you for having me
0: um you know before i introduce you i'm gonna do a major hosting faux pas and ask you for the pronunciation of your last name to make sure i've got it right (laughs)
2: Uh, it's weiner not wiener weiner
0: (laughs) thank you well i totally blew it earlier so i'll I'll, you know edit that out but um natalie um it's great to have you um i just want to offer that I've enjoyed following you on Twitter now for a while, um, even back a little bit in your billboard days. Uh, and uh, you've had a really interesting path. And and one of the things we love to do on this show, because there's a lot of folks that follow this that want to one day be a journalist, um, cover a team, you know, um, cover music, whatever it might be. So we love hearing about people's background. Um, but first things first. Um, what happened on Sunday? I mean, you're, you, you are a Seahawks fan through and through. I've seen it. Um, I've seen some of your tweets. We're all waiting for you to tell us how we should feel about this game. So can you, you mind uh, getting us kicked off with a little bit of a uh, Natalie analysis?
2: You know, no pressure. Um, I mean, <laughs> I like, you know, X's and O's like hardcore analysis. I don't, I'm not necessarily super strong at that. But, I mean, it was a little stressful in the moment, you know. As everybody saw, it was like – it felt like a lot of missed opportunities and just kind of like the offensive line, obviously. I mean, we all knew that was a problem and then it was a problem. Yep. But, like, you know, I'm I've already kind of moved on. I'm like, all right, it's week one. It's fine, you know. Like, I don't know. If we go back the last couple of years, the Seahawks – have consistently been terrible for the first like month of the season (laughs) so so I'm just kind of like that's my excuse and I'm sticking to it and like I don't know but it was just it was a combination I think of like a couple bad breaks and the fact that the offense like could not stay on the field you know like if we had had like two things go our way it would have been a much closer game Well, I'm
0: curious um, if you, you talked about that you're a little bit, you're past it now you're feeling better. Um, I have my channel. I've worked for years, decades on my coping skills for Seahawks losses. What's (laughs) what's your general, like take us through uh, the Natalie Weiner um, post loss ritual. Well, how do you, how do you kind of move, move past it?
2: Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I guess it's just like watching other games, watching other people play worse. That's a big part of it. <laughs> I mean, that was harder to do this week because, like, especially last night watching the Vikings and Sam Bradford was like throwing bombs. That was a little distressing. I was like, I don't really like to see Sam Bradford looking better than Russell Wilson. But um, in general, it's other teams playing worse is a big part of it. And I mean, Logging onto Twitter and seeing some more moderate takes, you know, you would think that would make it worse, right? You would think logging onto Twitter, everyone's really extreme and, like, you know, freaking out. But I feel like I am usually the most freaked out. And then it is other people with their, like, reasonable commentary that makes me feel better. Of course, seeing all the screen caps of the offensive line turned around as Packers (laughs) defenders swarmed Russell Wilson was not necessarily uplifting, but...
0: I feel like you know, Time Magazine has these famous covers that like mark eras in you know history, you know world history. I feel like that screen cap of <laughs> if people haven't seen it, it is literally four. Is it four? I think it's it's at least four. Maybe it's three Packers defenders three. with four yeah. Seahawk <laughs> linemen chasing them. They're all like already like past them and running towards Russell Wilson. I feel like that perfectly captures what the last three years have felt like watching Seahawks football. Um,
1: So they should post it in the, uh, like put a poster up of it in the Seahawks locker room. And I was very much in favor of that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, maybe, or just like in Tom Cable's office, somebody needs to print it out and like put it on his door, I think.
0: (laughs) Well, where do you stand? So that, that's an interesting topic. Um, Tom Cable has certainly been a um, polarizing figure in Seahawks land. Um, Similarly, Daryl Bevel, there's there's a lot of polarizing figures. There's another one we're going to talk about in a little bit that I know you feel very strongly about. Um, Now, a lot of people um, have kind of said, hey, this is a Tom Cable issue. He's clearly got a blind spot with pass blocking. He's not doing great with that. Um, They come down the line of, um, he's the one that's picking the the players. He, they they think that he's the guy that's telling John John Schneider who to pick, and he has preferences. And they really put it all on cable for where things are. There's another group that puts a lot of it on the front office and says, "Hey, they're just they're not giving him good people to work with. He's doing the best he can with really poor options." Um, I know where I stand on that topic. Where, where do you stand?
2: Um, I mean, I think as with most things, it's almost certainly a combination and it's hard to know without being psychic but um i mean tom cable has certainly had a number of opportunities to like make this work you know like probably more chances than most people get to be good at their job you know um and i think my conversations with seahawks beat reporters the common thread has been like pete carroll maybe gives people too many chances like players and employees you know because he wants to believe that he can change them you know and make them better like that's part of his whole like uplifting optimistic mentality which is so great a lot of the time but I think in this case it's just like oh yeah we can take this basketball player and make him an offensive lineman it's going to be great Mm -hmm. like you know I just I think it's sort of this is proving to be a blind spot. And I think, uh, you know, considering how many offensive linemen we've gone through, you know, like the change I think needs to happen in coaching, you know, because like we've tried different people, you know, and they haven't held on to the people they have because they think they can do better and then they haven't been able to. So I don't know.
0: Nathan, do you have any questions uh, for, I I could basically talk to Natalie the whole night. So uh, I want to make sure I give you a chance to get in there.
1: No, no. I mean, uh, I don't know, Natalie, you had that tweet uh, where you were asking what system Tom Cable runs uh, and it pops up on someone retweets it onto my timeline every so often. And I, every time I try to think of something clever and I just end up so sad thinking about it, <laughs> it's such a train wreck. Uh, so in terms of Tom Cable, I'm firmly in the uh, make change at the coaching level.
2: Yeah. yeah
0: I, I'll jump in there as well. I mean, I wrote about it on, on Monday. enough snuff you know I think we're there Um, and I know that there's a lot of folks in that locker room that are hundred percent on the Tom Cable bandwagon I mean and bandwagon is not even the right term but they're in his camp they're behind him they believe in him as a man they believe him as a coach as a person as a teacher Um, and so like they really you know they wouldn't say anything negative about him but I also know that he's he absolutely like John Schneider has been really clear about his draft policies. He works with coaches really closely across both sides to figure out what those position coaches want. And then the scouts look for what they're after. And you can hear what Tom Cable values and you can see a really clear correlation with what they draft. And it's not working. I mean, he's been really clear that He'd rather take a guy that's fresh and raw and mold him the way he wants, than take a guy that's polished and thinks he already knows how to do it that he has to then break down and build back up. And look, th- this is this is a Super Bowl team. I mean, let's talk about that defense and the special teams and every other position. Other than that, I, we've already lost a couple years. We we cannot lose another year. And if we do, if he's still on the squad, like. I'm starting a whole site just about getting him fired.
2: To <laughs> Change.org position. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, fire Tom Cable. I can't even talk. And I don't want that. But to yeah. Happen. I mean, I, yeah, it's just, it's weird that they've let it get to this point, you know, because it's like always kind of been simmering under and now it's just very glaring, you know. They've kind of been able to spin gold from straw, you know, in the past couple of years. Like things have ironed themselves out, but. Relying on that to keep happening, I don't know.
1: And his calling card, the run game, has disappeared on him. Like right. that was always the thing—is that the path, block, path, path blocking was always questionable. But now they can't run block either. And like Davis was losing his mind about it on Twitter last night. That you know, I mean, Green Bay basically ran time last night. They ran like you know six DBs or something out there, and Seattle couldn't run on them. Uh, it, it's hard to find it, you know many redeeming qualities for Cable at this point.
0: Well, so moving on from Tom Cable for a second. You know, I'm sure there's no way we're going to stay away from that topic for too much longer. Um my question for you Natalie is one would J- Jermaine Curse have helped in that game?
2: Two, <laughs> I one, mean, I'm one, like only Kirsten. a little uh, bit I, biased,
0: but <laughs> I don't know your background with Jermaine Curse, so Please fill my, me and the listening audience into your Jermaine Curse position <laughs> and, and then uh, tell us if he would have made a difference.
2: Uh, okay, so I feel like people ask me about this, they're like, why do you like Jermaine Curse so much? And it's not because I even, like, when I first started being like, oh, yay, Curse, I didn't know anything about him. You know, I didn't realize that he was, like, a local guy, that he had gone to UW. Like, I think maybe peripherally I was aware of that, but it wasn't something... Like, that wasn't why I liked him. I just kind of, like, have a thing for the underdog in general. (laughs) And people kept berating him. But then he would, like, do important stuff and make important catches in games. And along the way, it just, like, became... You know, I, I feel like it's a little bit of the contrarian in me. Like, I like to root for the people who everyone else is, you know, insulting. But um, then it became, like, a real thing because he just seems like a good guy. And I don't know. Like, I can't be mad at him. He's, like, he's a team player. He's never injured, you know, which I think people forget. And, you know, he has a great relationship with Russell. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, last year was a bad year for him sure but like he's still he was like in the mix he would catch when he had the right play call he would you know make the catch and, and he's not like an extraordinarily athletic receiver obviously but like you know he has his role um and you know, but
0: Natalie hmm. I, you know what I'm seeing I'm seeing someone who has a clear sports crush on a player and just doesn't feel comfortable like just saying it like I've got a sports crush on Doug Baldwin. I have had <laughs> it for a while. People know that. It's just out there. Like, it's
2: okay. It's not you yet, don't, you don't mean, have like,
0: to, like, rationalize it. It's just it's, – yeah. it's irrational. No,
2: I feel like I of. do because, like, so people are so down on him, um, and I don't really get it. But, I mean, I do get it. I He has, like, visible things that he does wrong, and you're like, oh, why did you drop that? But I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> anyway, but – Leading receiver for the Jets last week. Can yeah. we talk about that? Like, you know, I mean, they are the Jets, which, you know. Um, but I don't know. I was very proud of them.
0: Well, I was going to ask... Would he
2: have made a difference in the game?
0: Yeah, I was going to ask Mina Kimes to to protect Jermaine from the New York media, you know, but I realized she, she's out in L.A., so she can't really... <laughs> yeah. So you are going to have to, in New York City, like, super, you know, protect him because he's he's got got a long, long year ahead of him.
2: No, like, I I don't know. I'm stressed on his behalf. Because like, I know he's never lived anywhere outside of the Northwest. And New York is going to be a big adjustment. And he's like with a whole new team and all that stuff. And they're the Jets, which are terrible. So Um, (laughs) it's a little bit dark for him right now. But I don't know if he would have made a difference in that game. Just like, honestly, because the pass protection was so bad and like Russell was not able to do anything, you know? And like people were talking about how Jimmy Graham had a bad game, um, which he did. But I think a lot of that was just, he was like in double coverage. I don't know. It just, it was not a good game for any Seahawks receiver. And I don't know if curse despite his superfluous talent would be able to (laughs) overcome that.
0: (laughs) Well, Nathan, check me on this. I will make my strongest case that I can for how Jermaine Kirsch could have made a difference in that game. And oh, I really okay. Have one, I, only have one, I only have one thing I can offer here, which is maybe two. Um, one directly, which is Russell – they only had a few red zone chances. And one of them, Russell threw a back shoulder pass to Tanner McAvoy in the middle of, middle of the end zone. Incomplete, Couldn't couldn't pull it out. Russell completed that exact same pass to who during the preseason? Jermaine Curse. Um, is it possible that there's like not quite the same chemistry and maybe a, two steps here or two steps there? Maybe that's a completion with Curse and it wasn't with McAvoy. Maybe. Yeah. Um, the other thing I'd throw out there for Curse is um, blocking. You know, I think someone made the point that all five linemen, the fullback. And all three tight ends, well, at least two out of the three, not including maybe Luke Wilson, were like below average blockers, if not bad blockers. And um, as much as Paul Richardson showed out as you know doing a nice job receiving, he's never going to be a blocker. And so would that have made a t- difference in the goal line situation or, or any of these other running situations? Don't know. Don't know.
2: But well, that's, I like that's, the way you think. <laughs>
0: I had to put some time into thinking about that because I knew you were coming <laughs> on. I just wanted you to have, you know, that to hold on to. If anyone wants to give you crap, you can you can throw those things out.
2: No, I appreciate it. I, I mean, I have curses stat line for the Jets with freaking Josh McCowan. so yeah, I'm not. I'm I'm doing okay with my curse relationship. <laughs> so,
0: I read one of your articles um, a little while back. You wrote about. Um, uh, marijuana and cannabis use um, in, in professional sports. And this is half tongue in cheek and half serious because it was a super interesting article. Um, I was going to just ask you if marijuana would have helped this game.
2: Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it did for some, uh, some <laughs> people, maybe not in the game. But um, tell us a little bit about what you found and what you wrote
2: about. Uh, well, basically, it was interesting. I was actually pitched. Um, a group of athletes were starting a nonprofit called Athletes for Care, and it was basically about advocating for cannabis use for athletes and overall alternative therapies for kind of helping athletes get through their lives as professionals on the field and after, you know, like in retirement, so many of these guys have like a really hard time adjusting to life after they're in the league, in any league. Um And for these guys, cannabis has been an important part of their readjustment to regular society among other sort of therapies that you wouldn't think of, you know, sort of like yoga and healthy living and extra, you know, they're sort of into this holistic approach to like wellness, I guess is the right word. But cannabis is kind of the centerpiece and like advocating for um, reduced regulations in leagues and also legalization more broadly. Um, and so once I started looking into it, like when they came to me and I was, I was kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, stoner athletes, yeah, whatever. You know, I don't know. I didn't really have a great understanding of why this was so important to them that they decided to start an organization to advocate for it. But um, looking into it, basically – it's very difficult to do medical studies with marijuana in the United States, just because getting past the FDA, getting these things approved, is like extremely challenging. Because it's currently a Schedule One drug, which doesn't really make a lot of sense, especially considering that it's legal in many parts of the country, like Seattle. Um, but the studies that have been done point to the fact that this is like potentially a revolutionary therapy for a lot of different things. And most importantly, and most directly pain relief, you know, which is like a big issue in the NFL, obviously, because you can't come out of an NFL game. That's just, that's the nature of the sport. You know, you're hurting yourself every single, huh? (laughs) And as a fan. fan. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That too. That too. But, um, but yeah, these guys are, they're hurting themselves for our entertainment, and that's kind of like you're accepting the premise by watching. But you know, in light of the whole opioid epidemic and how these guys are so often just given pain pills to deal with that, um, you know, cannabis and all that stuff, it's like a very real alternative. And it was really interesting, actually, the day that that um, piece came out, the NFL reached out to the NFLPA about actually like doing more research about the potential therapeutic um, benefits of cannabis consumption. So I don't know. It was really insane timing. I was like, all right, Roger Goodell reading my mind.
0: <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I um, was interested in, in that article, I'm curious your take is it, it talked about that. There is some belief that at least in, like some mammals that it was proving to be uh, like a brain, like a neuro buffer. I can't remember the Mm -hmm. exact term, but something that actually had neurological ability to protect brain um, matter. And I was trying to figure out what that how that's possible. Um, I don't know if you got any explanation or uh, I know they hadn't proven that in humans yet, but obviously with all the concussion and CTE stuff, that was something that was a big part of your article.
1: Does pot have nano bubbles in it?
2: <laughs> I mean, well,
0: might be the other way around.
2: Maybe, I mean, big like big question mark there. It's like obviously the research is like super preliminary, but it's a little bit more advanced in the world of um, epilepsy. Like people have found it to alleviate seizures, which is also kind of a neurological thing, obviously. So basically, it's like. It's complicated in a way that I don't even know. When I explain it, it's probably going to sound crazy, but basically, your body already has receptors that are built for cannabinoids, which is the main element of pot that is like good for you. And it's not at all the element that gets you high, you know, totally different thing than THC. But your body has these receptors specifically for cannabinoids. So, like, when they're activated, it's like, that's what they're trying to figure out. And there's some evidence, as you mentioned, to suggest that it might be like a neuroprotectant and help protect your brain cells. But, you know, obviously preliminary, um, the athletes that I spoke to who had been smoking pot while they were in, you know, most of them had been doing it while they were professionals, you know, they were like, the testing is such that if you just kind of work around it you're fine you know like you can smoke as much pot as you want and they're like i feel like i'm in a better situation than the other guys i know who played who didn't smoke pot they actually do feel like it helped them in the long run but obviously that's anecdotal you know and you need like studies that'll probably take decades to actually figure out if it works
0: well um i know we've kept you a little bit longer than we uh planned do you have time for one more question
2: yeah 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 sure
0: Okay, Nathan, you know, you can probably pile on another one if, if you have one as well. You're so stoic there. I never know. You look like you're just picking this all in. You jump in at any time, Nathan.
1: You guys are great. I'm just enjoying the podcast.
0: Yeah, well, we'll, we'll be talking here in a second. So um, first off, we've been talking a lot about marijuana, so I have to talk about uh, um, one of our sponsors, um, Pagliacci Pizza uh, <laughs> is... Uh, Having a special this week. <laughs> <laughs> and you can get two 11 inch pizzas and a small salad for like 25 bucks. It's good through Friday. So I don't know what anyone's waiting for. I also want to thank Steam Donkey Brewery. Uh, this is their Boomboat Stout. They're down in Aberdeen, Washington. Both of these folks are hot water patrons. All this money and proceeds are going to Ben's fund. So get some pizza. Get some beer, talk hawks. So that aside,
2: I miss Poliachi a lot. <laughs> whenever I go home, you know.
0: Wait, you're in New York and you miss Pagliachi Pizza. That is a story. Yeah. Let's talk about that for one second.
2: <laughs> I mean, but it's like that's what I grew up with, you know. <laughs> it's it's probably a lot of nostalgia, but I mean, it's also great pizza. So.
0: It is that. That's right. That's right. We we stand with with products we love on this show. So. Um, speaking of your, your, you know, you got started, you, you grew up here. Could you tell us a little bit about, you know, uh, I think I have to admit, I was on your LinkedIn profile and I saw like a, a 4.03 GPA. <laughs> so you like between you and Mina and like Danny Kelly and Nathan, like we've got like these crazy smart Seahawks, Twitter people. <laughs> like, No, don't look uh, at my GPA. <laughs> uh, Tell us, you pick it up from there if you would, like how you got into what you do. And it's a really interesting path that you've gone into music and now into kind of sports and culture. So can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, I'll try and keep it super brief because it was kind of a convoluted journey. Um, but basically I went to Columbia, um, graduated from Holy Names, you know, shout out Seattle. Um and went to Columbia. I thought I was gonna be a music teacher. I loved music. I played bass, you know, growing up, um, and that was like my main thing. I was not into sports at all. I like barely played sports. I definitely didn't watch sports. I like, you know, I, I just didn't. I was not into that whole thing. My parents weren't into it, you know. It just was not a thing in our house. Um, but I went to Columbia joined marching band, of all things, just kind of randomly. Whoa. And so then I started going to Columbia football games, which obviously are not good, um, <laughs> but they are football games. Um, got me in the mix a little bit. And so I was at Columbia going to football games, still doing the music thing, did music and American studies there, eventually came to the idea that I might want to be a writer. I didn't realize until kind of later on while I was in college um and i was like oh i could write about music and that would be good started at columbia journalism school dropped out of columbia journalism school um and then just kind of wrote for free about music until i was able to start freelancing about it then got an internship at billboard and that was kind of the catalyst for everything else. Once I was working at Billboard as an intern, they eventually hired me full time. I was an associate editor of the magazine, which was crazy, but I learned so much, you know, like I learned basically everything I know from my time at Billboard. And my interest all the while in the Seahawks and in sports in general had been kind of like developing all that time. And by the time I was at Billboard, I was just Super into it, and I was doing all of these sports and music stories for uh, for Billboard, kind of finding all the ways that these things overlapped. And I did a podcast with one of my coworkers called "Balling Out," which you can still listen to, and I think it's still kind of a fun, a fun thing to listen to. We had some good guests on there. Um, and then I got offered the job of Bleacher Report. <laughs> and so oh, wait, wait. That's yeah, it was job. not.
0: So, so so wait, so how did you go from? That's the part I didn't quite follow. You went from <laughs> writing about music. You had a podcast, and, and that was about sports, and that's mm-hmm. what got you your foot in the door at Bleacher Report?
2: I think so. I mean, it was just sort of a combination of, you know, obviously I had, like, a Twitter presence of, like, being into sports, you know, and I had, you know, it was sort of part of the dialogue that way. Even though it sounds silly, I think it's a kind of weird way. Um, and then I – was doing sports stuff at Billboard. Like I talked to, you know, musicians about their Super Bowl opinions, and like talked to athletes about their histories as musicians. And we had this podcast. My, I she's at Title now, Um, and it was a Billboard podcast, but it was called Balling Out. And we had athletes and musicians come on. I to see. Talk to us. So yeah,
0: interesting, interesting, fascinating. I mean, it's uh, it's inspiring and and depressing at the same time that a Columbia <laughs> University grad had to intern and climb up from the bottom to, to get to the top. It's
2: hard. It I mean, hard. like, it's just, there aren't shortcuts. Like, especially right now. I mean, there's nepotism for sure, and it helps to, like, know the right people and, like, be friends with, like, honestly, it's less about, like, who your parents are and more about who your friends are, I think, like, and that, yep. that still sucks. Like, that's still stupid nepotism, you know? But like, if you have friends who are well connected, like then they'll hook you up. And I don't know, it's not it's not fair and it's not easy. But I've I've had a few lucky breaks, you know, which I feel I don't know, I feel very lucky to be where I am.
0: Well, I don't consider it luck. I've I've read what you do. You do great work. I'm really happy that you were able to find time to come on the show. I know it's a uh, it's really like middle of the day New York time um, the way New York <laughs> works, but it's it's still late and. Uh, uh, for anyone that that wants to follow your work, um, where can they
2: find you? Uh, I mean, I post basically everything on Twitter. It's just my name, Natalie Weiner, and then um, I've got a page on Leacher Report too, where everything goes up. I'm kind of, I'm still freelancing about music too, so there's there's a little bit of a mix.
0: Got it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Natalie, for joining and. Uh, Hopefully, we'll have you back on and talk a little bit more oh, about uh, a more encouraging. Like, we'll talk about what you do after the Seahawks win and how you. Slip <laughs> it.
2: Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me.
0: All right. Thanks, Natalie. Take care. All right. Bye. <laughs> so Nathan, damn dude, you got you got to stop talking so much. I I, oh, I, I can't I can't like just sit here quietly the whole time. Um, you know, but but uh. I'll try. (laughs) No, Natalie's great. Um, She's great. I definitely encourage people to follow her online. She makes uh, a lot of great comments. Um, You know, um, and she's just another representative of, I think what's been a really cool growing contingent of really smart, talented people who are Seahawks fans on Twitter um, to follow. And um, we're actually going to have another one on here in a little bit. And Kenny Main, who's a local and um, has done amazing stuff. But, uh, before Kenny comes on here at 8 o'clock, uh, uh, let's talk a little bit more about this game. Um, let's talk a little bit more about what you saw. And, and we started to do that before Natalie came on. Um, clearly, offensive line was an issue. Let's start there um, a little bit farther down the line. Do you think that there's reason to be hopeful? Can, can these things be addressed? Some people have said that, that, the, that the offensive line started to perform better as the game wore on. Is that what you saw?
1: A little. Um, but not like again, we saw a low bar with his offensive line. So uh, better, you know, from those first two plays where Odiambo's like fallen over himself. Yeah, they, they were better, I guess, <laughs> but you know, they were bad. Uh, there's reason to be hopeful just because I think continuity with offensive linemen is a real thing. And so if they can stay healthy and Cable can avoid churning them, um, and they can avoid you know playing so poorly they have to be churned out. They they could probably grow as a unit, but you know they have fundamental problems. And getting back to the, the cable discussion earlier, you know, is this a coaching problem? Is it a, a front office problem? They are doing things that they've been doing you know for a while, and it's bad and it's wrong, and it just feels like it's the way they're being coached and it doesn't seem like that's something that can get better.
0: Yeah. I mean, do you have any specific examples of, of that where you think it, it looks like it's, I mean, obviously you're not an offensive line coach. I'm not asking you to be. Yeah. Are there things that, you, that stand out to you when you're watching it where it feels wrong to you? You don't maybe yeah. see it other places.
1: The thing that I've been watching with them for a while now is how they double team and that's obviously a big part of zone blocking right so basic zone blocking primers um if you're covered you're an offensive lineman if you're covered it means that there's a defensive lineman that's like directly across from you right and if you're uncovered it means that there isn't a defensive lineman that's directly across from you and there's some fairly basic rules about how you end up working together. But if you're covered, you block the guy in front of you. And if you're uncovered, you help the the, the next offensive line, the next to you who is covered. So you double team. So double team means a big part of zone blocking. Um, and Seattle's really bad at it. And they've been really bad at it. Uh, and I was hoping that maybe when you you know got a guy like Jokel involved, that they would get better at it. Um, what they do is the guy that's uh, supposed to help doesn't, is basically the short of it they um sometimes they'll try to get like a, a big punch in and they'll just knock a defender clean and then the guy who's actually supposed to block him can't he, the defender is not there anymore and so he can't block him um and then other times they just kind of will tap a defender or just not really help at all and you end up with offensive linemen who are in really bad position for the block that they're trying to make uh and that was something that, again, on Green Bay, yeah, against Green Bay, we were seeing that. And it's something that's it been happening for a long time. And it just looks like it's a coaching issue that they either, he either can't teach it correctly or is teaching it incorrectly. And it's consistently a problem for this team.
0: Well, and that kind of stuff, um, if there's a way to be optimistic, like if it's mental, if it's communication issues or mental errors or, you know, fundamental stuff, Theoretically, those can be learned and developed over time. That's where the continuity can help. That's where the repetitions can help. Um, whether or not we've seen that is, is a fair question to ask. But there's also, like, I think it's oversimplifying it um, to say that, it, that those are, you know, only where they are. And I don't think that's what you're saying. But some, I think Pete Carroll's been trying to sell that a little bit, that it's not physical. And, look, I've seen Luke Jokel get run over Multiple times by in Seahawks practice where it's not even full contact.
1: Um, we've he said, like, we he kind of got a pass said, in the preseason. That, like he was that was that was happening to him in the preseason, and then we saw on that strip sack and a couple other times too.
0: Yeah, he he really. Um, I feel like it's a physical issue with him, and that's not as easy. You know, you don't all of a sudden get stronger, um, and so that's a concern. I I, I think. Look, I think Jermaine Effetti had some problems, but all in all, you know, if everyone else had done their job, I think we could have accepted the the, the game that Jermaine Effetti had.
1: I don't uh, think so. I would disagree play? with that. No. He I mean I mean it's Clay Matthews and, and he's a obviously a good player, a smart player. Uh, but boy, he was just murdering a I mean and Effetti's doing some real again, some really basic technique stuff just flat out wrong. I don't have a lot of a a lot of hope for Effetti, to be honest.
0: Yeah, well, I'm trying, dude. Uh, I think I think on the um...
1: I think with Effetti, I guess he is maybe one of the guys that has a clear like specialty. Like if he does get you, he is strong. He will move you. Um, So from that perspective, he can do good things. Um, But I mean, on the whole, uh, I think he's played pretty poorly.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think. You know what I saw a lot was that it was the, the guard play, which was just really a disaster in this game. I mean, the pressure was coming right up the middle um, pretty regularly, and um,
1: Britt was a part of that too. Britt had some ugly plays in there.
0: Yeah, he, he did. I, I mean, overall, just it was really bad. And and I made the comment in my in my blog, and and you know, talking to you guys after the game. As, far as I'm concerned, this is the worst offensive line performance we've seen, um, you know, at least in the Pete Carroll era. And we've seen some really bad ones. We've seen Houston, um, you know, in 2013, when they were missing Russell Okung and Breno Giacomini and um, Max Unger. And they had, you know, they were going up against J.J. Watt and they just were getting destroyed. We've seen last year, Tampa Bay, uh, they were getting destroyed, but they didn't have Justin Britt. This was their starting five. They weren't missing anybody. Now, I know the fan's out, but doesn't matter. He's out the whole year. This is your starting five. And Tampa Bay and the Texans, they have a pretty damn good front seven. They have dynamic, like, world-beating players in there. Mike Daniels is a very good defensive lineman. Nick Perry is a very good defensive lineman. But we made that – front seven for the Packers look like, you know, Warren Sapp's, uh, you know, Tampa Bay Bucks. So uh, this to just a total collapse of the line. I don't think any part of it was good. And, and I'm not sure I really buy that it got better. Um, it, it seemed maybe it went from zero to 0. 0.0001, but yeah. you know, that strip sack and all that stuff happened in the second half. I mean, I don't see it getting a lot better.
1: Yeah, I, I wouldn't discredit the Green Bay defenders. At least those front that, that they're what they ran at the front four, right? Clay, uh, Daniels, Kenny Clark is a guy I really liked. He was first round pick. He's played well, um, and Nick Perrot. I wouldn't discount how good they are, um, but they they ran two down linemen for most of the game. Um, even when they had a front four, a true front four, where they're playing four guys up there, like that line is light. Um, You know, Matthews and and Perry aren't super small defensive ends, but they're on the smaller side. And then they ran a lot of safeties uh, and cornerbacks out there. And it didn't matter. Seattle couldn't do anything against it. And so uh, I think when you consider, uh, again, there's some talent on that that Green Bay front seven, front four especially. Um, But when you consider the size and you consider what Seattle wants to do and you kind of consider like Green Bay kind of wants to let you run a little bit, like they are clearly – willing to sacrifice a little bit on the ground just by the guys, the, per, the personnel packages that they're putting out there in Seattle could do nothing with it.
0: Well, so um, I'm kind of curious uh, before we move on, um, you know, I think people are almost ready for to talk about something other than this game. Um, were there any other takeaways you had from this game? Uh, other parts of the, the team that, that you thought stood out?
1: Quill's going to be good. He played real well. Uh, you already can't beat him deep. Um, Jordan, they, they, you know, Rogers tried uh, with Devonte Adams, uh, tried with Jordy Nelson, uh, took a sack trying to wait on Quill getting beat. Um, they picked on him underneath. He's got to clean up a lot of stuff. Um, but for him to already be kind of a shutdown guy on anything that's going deep down the field is – pretty cool and he should only get better. Um, Some of the problems that he had with his uh, with the holding penalties and stuff is that he was almost covering like too well. Um, He was right on top of receivers at the top of their routes. And so when they would go to break, he would kind of, he would just run into them. And um, that led to some holding penalties that led to him um, kind of losing balance and, and receivers getting a little separation. So when he maybe learns to actually, dial it back just a little bit because he's so athletic. He doesn't need to stay right there in the receiver's pocket the whole time. Um, He could get really, really, really good. He was fun to watch.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, you've heard me stand on the soapbox about him now for a few weeks, and um, he didn't disappoint. Um, I think the question there is – I I have my answer. Uh, Jeremy Lane – getting ejected forced Shaq to step forward into the starting role opposite Sherman, given the choice right now, um, who's your, who's your star opposite Sherman when, when Lane's available?
1: I don't think there's any reason for it to not be Quill. Uh, I mean, you maybe have some more growing pains with him. Um, holding penalties are just killer cause it's just the automatic first down. Um, and so you probably have to weigh that, uh, but with the growth that you're going to get of him, what he can do defending deep down the field. Um, I I don't understand. I, I have no idea why they wouldn't keep Quill out there and just bring, bring Jeremy in as a third DB and he'll still get a ton of snaps that way. So.
0: Yeah. I, <laughs> there's another interesting thing that came in that game, which was because of Jeremy Lane's ejection, which was Justin Coleman's performance. Um, I, I, you know, I haven't seen Justin Coleman play that much, and I've been pretty clear on this show that, that I am not a huge Jeremy Lane fan. Um, I, I think he's, he's a fine player. You know, it's not the worst thing in the world having him there, but I think he gives up a lot. I don't think he's particularly special in any one aspect of his game. I don't think he's particularly fast or particularly agile or particularly strong or particularly durable, um, and I often see him trailing people for, for large plays. I think he's a decent tackler um, if I had to give him one thing that is good. But I thought Justin Coleman had a pretty remarkable game. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is a smart guy. He knew exactly what was going to happen when, when Lane went out. They have Randall Cobb. They have plenty of play, players to attack in the nickel. And for the most part, Coleman held up. He what, what did well. you see from him?
1: Yeah, he played well. Uh, he's a little guy. He can get pushed around a little bit, and that might be a problem. Um, you know, Green Bay has the personnel do that. They've got some physical guys um, and they did push him around a little bit, but not to much effect. Like it didn't matter much um, in the end, um, but that could be a problem with him. I think, you know, I don't know if we saw him come up and, and tackle much and that could be another question mark with him. Um, but he played well. Uh, another guy that played well with Garvin um, kind of a perfect matchup for him and um, that he's, uh, he's a good cover guy. Um, he, for a linebacker, you know, he drops back into zone and covers guys and, and moves real well. So he played well. Um, we'll see how he does against some teams that maybe want to run it under your throat a little bit much, and maybe we'll try to push him around, but uh, he, he showed up and played well too.
0: Yeah. I like Garvin. I, I think he's got the speed. I think he can be a playmaker and he doesn't have to be the one that's at the point of attack all the time, but he's the type of guy that with his speed uh, and his aggressiveness, I think he's going to make some plays for the, the team this year be interesting to see what happens with Michael Wilhoyt. Uh, he was out last week and we'll see if he comes back,
1: but was he hurt or was he just inactive?
0: He was hurt. Yeah. He's he's been, uh, dealing with a calf issue and they, they held him out. Uh, we'll, we'll see if uh, we'll get the practice report tomorrow for the first time and, and see if he's, he's back to back to action. Um, but I, I would be okay with Garvin being the starter there for a while. Um, I just think Will Hoyt gives them a better player against the run. Mm-hmm. But I think that they've got a lot of guys against the run. Um, we talked a lot about Sheldon Richardson last week. He obviously had his debut. I liked what I saw. I didn't think it was – it wasn't the dominant game that, that maybe I, um, in my wildest dreams, would have hoped for. But what did you see from him?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, for a while there, he was just kind of – you know, he would take a guard and he would push him like two, three yards right into the backfield and then just kind of stand there. And for a little while, I was getting frustrated with it. And then he did it again and Cliff came around the corner and Aaron couldn't and Rogers couldn't step up and Cliff got the sack. And I was like, oh, we talked about this. Cliff is going to be the guy that benefits from him. There it is. And so that was cool. Um, I think Pete said the same thing. Like he was just he was solid. Um, he didn't get clean on any, any any of his path rushes, which I think is true. Um I don't remember if it was Peter or somebody else that was talking about that you had defenders that, you know, path rushers that kind of ended up clumped up together. Um, part of that's just kind of, I think maybe the way Rogers moves around in the pocket, but uh, yeah, it's kind of scary to think that he played well. I think PFF had him like the second most disruptive defensive lineman um, with one hurt, one hit and five hurries or something like that. Um, and, you know, you can look at it and say there's room for him to improve. Uh, so that's pretty cool. It was uh everything about the defense was, you know, they struggled that last drive. Um, they kind of felt like maybe they were getting pushed around a little bit on the first couple of drives, but they were, uh, they were really, really good. That was, it was, despite how bad that offense was, the defense kept this game a game and it was actually a pretty enjoyable one until it just got down and it kind of got away from them a little bit.
0: Yeah. You look at that defensive performance and there's not a lot of others that stack up to it. the Seahawks have had a ton of great defensive performances that, you know, statistically stand out in some way, but I mean, it's really hard to to really quantify in a way that, that makes a lot of sense, especially when you lose, but what they did to Aaron Rodgers with a fully healthy, you know, receiving core and tight end group, they're missing one offensive lineman. And I don't think that was a huge factor in this game. I don't think it made a big difference. Um, and they couldn't move the ball. I mean, they every time you hold that team without points on a drive at home, that's huge. Rodgers has time. He's able to hear himself and communicate well, and when he has those situations, he generally is able to dissect any defense and, and play really well, and they held him scoreless in the first half. They didn't score until they got the ball at the five- or six-yard line. This is the six-yard line, And then they scored again after that. But for the most part, I mean, I I think you could say that this defense played a fantastic game that if you project that then to a home game for the Seahawks, which is obviously paramount that defense at home. Wow. Uh, I am really interested to see what it looks like this weekend. Cause I think, I think it could be ugly for, for teams. And I think it, Based on the way the offensive line's playing, I think the defense is going to have to make the game ugly for the other offense, for the Seahawks to have a chance to, to really win.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to look here real quick. Aaron Rodgers. All right. He's, I mean, he's had a couple of games where he got sacked eight times, but what'd they get him four or five times?
0: Four times in the first uh, half. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You don't sack Aaron Rodgers four times in the first half very often. Um, He, his, I mean, we've seen it, right? He moves around, he avoids pressure. It's infuriating. um, And to get after him that many times is really impressive. Like he's not just good because of what he does, you know, getting the ball downfield. He's good in how he buys time and, and moves around and avoids sacks. And they were getting home. Um, most quarterbacks are not going to be able to avoid the pressure the way he was because for as many sacks as they had, you know, they were chasing him around. He was getting out of the pocket. He was avoiding stuff. He was throwing balls away. Um, he did. He, he played pretty well, really. I mean, he did that with 300 yards and all that too. So uh, when they start to get uh, after some worse quarterbacks, which is most every other quarterback in the league um, and if they can get a lead on a team, I mean, watch out.
0: Yeah. I'm curious. I mean, we had some big news come out, and we'll switch over to talk about the 49ers here in a second, but uh, David Johnson for the Cardinals. First of all, the Cardinals lose. Mm-hmm. I still think Cardinals are the, the main competition for the Seahawks in this division. They lose on the road to Detroit. Pretty painful loss, fourth quarter collapse. And they lose David Johnson, who's an MVP-level player, for what at least is a few months. We'll see if it ends up being longer. You saw the Rams – go and go ham on the Colts and put up over 40 points. They didn't even have Aaron Donald. And then you got the 49ers who got trounced, you know, 23 to three by the Panthers at home. Curious what your thoughts are about the division and and some of the news outside Seattle that, that broke um, this weekend.
1: Uh, Which news specifically? I was, I was in Disneyland for most of the week last week. So I was a little disconnected.
0: Yeah, the David Johnson news, primarily, um, as well as the Rams' performance.
1: The Rams' performance, I mean, let's pump the brakes a little bit on that. I mean, that Colts team is just awful, Um, and it it really spiraled on them. So uh, I saw bits and pieces of it. I saw Todd Gurley get tackled behind the line a lot. Like, I think that team still has problems. Um, I'll believe Jared Goff's revival, you know, once he does it a couple more weeks. So – that doesn't worry me. I don't. I, I don't think that team should be better just because I think Fisher was a pretty bad coach. But um, to think that they would challenge for the division is kind of a stretch. Even though they did just murder the Colts, um, the David Johnson thing is big, uh, obviously because he's just a really good player. But you know, Palmer looks like he is turning into a pumpkin, and if he can't, you know, lean on that, you know, a, a guy like that. I mean, I don't know who they even have as a backup anymore. Is it Kerwin-Williams or my backup Cardinal running back? Knowledge is rusty. Uh, so uh, this division looks completely wide open. Um, as frustrating as it was to you know, lose your first game, you lost a game at Lambeau by a touchdown in a bad division. I mean, that that might have ramifications for, like, you know, first overall uh, or the first seed or whatever. Um, but this team will. This team will be fine. The Seahawks are fine. That that division's not, not too scary at all.
0: Yeah, Par had another three picks. Um, definitely. Did,
1: three picks against the Lions. What is he going to do against this defense?
0: Yeah, he he was inaccurate, on, and not even on the interceptions necessarily, but he, just some basic out patterns where he just didn't seem in rhythm. He didn't seem like the same player that he had been in, in past years. So that's, a, that's an issue for, for the Cardinals. I, I think their defense is good, but they gave up a lot of points. They weren't, you know, there isn't the Calais Campbell in the middle to just be a world beater. And we saw what he did to the Texans, which, by the way, we'll talk about it when we get there and get closer. But that game in Jacksonville no longer looks like one that people should be assuming is as a win. You've got a line that got 10 sacks against, oh, it's a terrible Texans line. Guess who else has a terrible line? And who's going to be on the road for that game? So uh, the Seahawks offensive line is going to have to get a lot better to be going against Malik Jackson and Dante Fowler and Clayas uh, Campbell and whoever else they throw at them in that game. But, um, yeah, I was not that impressed with the Cardinals. I think their defense is still really good. Um, and then um, – and then – I thought, you know, I think the Rams have something. I don't think that they're a division winning team, but I think they have something.
1: Yeah. The coaching changes there are, are interesting. You know, uh, I think McVay was given a lot of credit for, um, he he was uh, with Cousins, right. And I think he was given some credit for helping um, him kind of come along and all that. Uh, So we'll see what he can do to golf. Uh, You know, early returns are good and all, but uh, that, that Colts, team just completely imploded with Simeon and had to go to their backup and all that. So not too worried about it yet.
0: Nathan, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. We have got a technological miracle <laughs> has happened. And I want to take a second just to like honor the moment that just, it just occurred. Kenny Maine logged in to his Gmail account and That's joined the-, the real Hawk
3: talk podcast. Kenny. Um- had to make up a new password additionally. <laughs> well, also, you're welcome
0: to share that password if you want to have some fun, uh, see what people are going to do with your identity. Um, I can do
3: some hints. Well, if, if this is sponsored by Equifax, we're in trouble, right? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? But, you know, there's so much news going on, people didn't even follow that story. I think a lot of people don't even know that happened, that half our country's credit is corrupted right now.
0: Right, right. Equifax, uh, people do their credit scores on there. And it was like 160 million accounts or right. something like that got hacked and Good social stuff. security numbers. And you know, I, maybe it's just cause I, I'm, I'm not bright, but, but I tend to, <laughs> tend to decide that everyone's got all the information on me that they need to do whatever they want. And I'm just going to have to deal with it when it happens. And I just go on living, uh,
3: you know, oblivious. Ignorant. Yes. Well, it isn't the dumbest thing in the world to check what's going on with your credit once a quarter or even a month, because if some joker has, you know, bought a house under your name, then you know you have some liability issues. Well, see, folks, Kenny Maine
0: uh, already giving financial advice, mm-hmm. uh, sage advice that you would not have expected um, on on this show, because you're not going to get it from me, that's for sure, but. Yeah kenny um uh jokes aside for one second uh, really want to thank you for coming on i know you uh i talked to cj Tamburello, who's one of our our writers i'm unfortunately unable to be here tonight but uh really uh honored honestly to have you on here i've watched you uh, we've all watched you um for a number of years whether on espn on sports center um <laughs> on the big screen and movies you've kind of done it all um would you mind uh You know, you're from this area, is that right?
3: I grew up in Kent, Washington on the West Hill. Star Lake, have you ever heard of Star Lake?
0: I have not, I've
3: not. If you're going on I-5 south of the airport, halfway to Tacoma, 272nd exit. All
0: right, so if you don't mind, like take us. I
3: went from there straight to ESPN. Okay, that's that's what I was curious. I
0: figured that's just how it happens, it's just a direct line. Um,
3: No, I, I took sort of a circuitous – I took the Magellan route to get wherever it is I ended up. I'm still not done. I'm still trying to do other stuff too maybe before I get – Well,
0: you wrote, you've written books. Um, I'd love to hear about that. Like, uh, And I think if I've seen correctly, you're back doing Sports centers. Yes. So you, you're, you're – you, how are you doing that and being here? How does that work?
3: Uh, well, and I just got married. Hey, congratulations. Yes. Uh, We're saddened to say the place where we went for the honeymoon got hit hard by the hurricane. So we're going to try to help those folks out a bit. Um, And Tim Duncan, you know, as as I was just saying on Twitter, like I don't think Tim Duncan ever asked a favor of anyone in his whatever number of year career. You know, he was just the most selfless individual, the way he played, the way he conducted himself. So I saw this thing in the Players' Tribune and he, you know, said this is unusual. I, I'm not used to asking favors, or, but you know, he's from the U.S. Virgin Islands, and it's funny how we don't often think of that. That that's part of the United States, just as is right. Idaho and Washington and New York and India. But because they're you know out there on the fringe, I think they don't get the same respect as being part of the country. So you basically just saying we're we're going to need help. And I just saw the pictures on news. It's it's bad. So um, that. Experience was amazing. It was just the contrast, like best two weeks of my life. And then these people who were so gracious and the hospitality and the beauty of these islands, we got married in the Bahamas and then we went to St. Bart's for the honeymoon. So hopefully they're going to come out of it and rebuild. Um, but that's what I'm doing. So I fly to Connecticut and I do sports center. I'll do like seven shows in a row or whatever. Then I'll come home and I have my daughter out here. My older daughter's just now going to college at Colorado Boulder. And then I fly back, and I'm back with Gretchen, and I'm also working. And then she ships out here. It's working for us. She's coming out next week. We do this thing called Race for a Soldier down in Gig Harbor because we lost my nephew, Kyle Farr. He had PTSD and got out of the VA hospital, and he ended up dying a day later. He went out drinking with his buddies, and that did not mix with what they had been giving him. And my sister, Leslie, started this foundation called they changed PTSD to permission to start dreaming and all the money goes to really good organizations. There's one I love up in Mount Vernon called growing veterans. And these guys, they basically farm together. That's their whole thing. And then they're talking it out and, you know, giving each other support. There's another one with horses and there's dogs and there's mountain climbing and all these healthy pursuits. So you got to tell Monday to register, by the way, if you are a runner or a walker or just want to come out and support it, it's near Canterwood. Uh, the neighborhood in Gig Harbor the YMCA you just go to dot org.
0: Race uh-huh
3: and awesome. race for a soldier is just one big word
0: yeah okay and anyone that hasn't been to Gig Harbor it's uh, beautiful it's a great part of the state it's it's definitely just good going down there participate in that
3: yeah uh, that's on sunday i'm sorry to interrupt that's sunday the 24th is the race so that's two weeks from two days ago. The Seahawks are big supporters. They've they've been behind it since day one. And there's a coffee company down in Sumner. They're going to make coffee that's going to have the label of Race for a Soldier on it. And we're trying to just raise more money. The, the ultimate goal is to have sort of like a refuge that soldiers coming back can go and, you know, like stay for – I'm not sure the, the timetables how it all works out, but basically just have a place – where they can get away from everything and kind of reacclimate to coming back and being a civilian again there, there's a really good model for it back east and uh we're trying to copy that but for now we just put money into good organizations that are doing good things for our returning vets
0: well it's, it's awesome it's it's great to hear and it's an important you know it's such an important thing to be doing and, and those people that are putting their lives on the line for the country and um you know the not always remembered when they come back. So yeah. uh, it's great to hear um, uh, what you're doing there. Even also, though the question
3: was, how did I get from Starlight to ESPN? That's what, that's, I remember what. That's where
0: we started. That's where we started. I'd love okay. to hear the answer. To that I, went to,
3: I, I grew up, I was born in uh, the same hospital as Isaiah Thomas, which would be. The little one. Yeah. St. Joe's, Tacoma, Washington. And then grew up in the whole Federal Way, Kent, you know, the, the west side of Kent that area. Star Lake Elementary, Totem Junior High, Thomas Jefferson, walked on at Washington, then I walked off, went to Wenatchee Junior College, Community College. From there, I went to UNLV, and I still, that's what I really wanted to do, is play football. Um, but I was just like second string at UNLV. I played a little bit here and there. Position? Quarterback. Okay. I'm playing in the Pearl Jam game this Saturday, which is at CenturyLink. Mike McCready, who has uh, suffers from Crohn's. They're doing this Crohn's Colitis benefit, and all the money goes to help and research there. And it's across the country, actually. This is like I think the fifth year we've done it. But we literally play flag football crossways at CenturyLink. It's a pretty good gig. Huh. So people can come out and, and see him, Jeff Amen, the bassist. He's playing as well. Yep. Uh, but it's a it's a great event. and It's very competitive.
0: Never play basketball with Jeff Amen, by the way. He's good.
3: I've he, I've been on the he call is, with him. He's vicious out there. He never yeah, plays good a bit. He's solid. Anyway, yeah. my coach talked the Seahawks into looking at me. They said, if you like the guy who played ahead of me, this guy named Sam King turned the Seahawks down to go to Canada. And um, so Tony Knapp, my coach, Dick Mansberger was the old player personnel director. Jerry Rome was the quarterback's coach. Patera's the head coach. This way back, 82. So I went out and threw, and the day I went to throw, Steve Largent happened to be in the building. So that's who I got to throw to for my tryout. Wow, so that's yeah. He was catching the ball off his shoes, and you know, like I was nervous, <laughs> but the report was that I wasn't terrible, and that was enough to sign a thirty thousand dollar rookie contract, which I found out is more than Dave Craig got. He told me his was twenty five. <laughs> so I, I, you know, obviously savvy. That you had bigger
0: hands than Dave Craig. That's
3: right. Uh, Dave was there. Jim Zorn was the starter at the time. Sam Atkins was there. There was a kid named Grayson Rogers out of Pacific. Can't remember the other names, but. I get to Cheney after working out in Kirkland, the old Kirkland, the one that's now Carillon Point, uh, the hotel there. Um, And I failed the physical on the very first day for my ruined ankle, which I broke my junior year at Oregon. So then for a couple of years, I tried, I still wanted to play. Like I wanted to go to Canada or USFL, you know, whoever the hell would have me. And in the meantime, I had a job at KSTW. I got a job like a week later after getting cut. And my first job was to be the green sheet ripper. Like this is so old fashioned, it wasn't even a computer. It was a typewriter, like a literal typewriter. Some were electric and you had five way carbon paper. And Jesse Jones, who now works for Cairo, right? He was my intern or our intern. And he would tape together all the scripts to the show, this half hour news. And they'd kind of go like on a conveyor belt. That was the teleprompter. That's how it worked back in the day. and I, but I wanted to do news. Actually, I was I was trying to be like Middle East correspondent or do documentaries or whatever. Interesting. But, but one day they were like, "You played football. We're gonna have you do sports now." And even though I really didn't want to, I was I was more inclined to do news. And I started doing the weekend sports. Did that for a couple few years. I sent a tape of. Do you remember the Joe Montana to John Taylor touchdown to beat the Bengals in the Super Bowl, 1989? Yes, the one—the one where Joe Montana says, "There's John Candy in the huddle." Um, so that was particularly decent show, I should say. Sent it to this guy at ESPN. He said, "Send me another tape to see if that wasn't a fluke." Send him another tape, whatever I sent, and I go back to get interviewed. But they're asking me questions like, "How do you think the White Sox middle relief will stack up?" I was like, "I'm—I'm <laughs> I'm just now lying. I'm making up." No, I mean it, they'll set it up for the closer, the middle guy, you know, I'm just, I don't know what I'm talking about. And worse than that, the draft was held. Like I flew all day on Sunday. The draft was Sunday, the NFL draft. First question, how'd the Seahawks do like, I barely knew one guy. They took much less the whole thing because I'd flown the whole day, went straight to bed, got up early, had the interview, you know, there was no internet, you know, you needed a wire a wire machine to find out any news anyway. So I, I did not get hired. Went back to Channel 11, worked there a little while longer. For some reason, I quit on like one day's notice. It was kind of impetuous. Um, that's Who's calling? You guys are calling. Um, so I'll turn that down, sorry. So my next job was assembling garbage cans because back in college, I was a garbage man. What? No, this is a true what? story. In college, I had, the, <laughs> I had the greatest summer job ever. I was a garbage man. West Seattle was my favorite route, Alki Point. Um, they had clean garbage. They just had these garbage cans up <laughs> there. It doesn't surprise me. So I called the garbage man guy, Steve Caputo, and said, hey, like, you know, I just quit my job. You know, I got to pay my Honda bill. I got insurance. And they were down to one man cruise. They didn't have the guy holding on the back of the truck like back in my day. The swamper, they called them. Like the industry had passed me by during these years. He said, "What I do have is some cans. We need cans to be made. I need you to put lids on them and wheels on them." And I'm like, "Not only am I bad at technology, I'm not very mechanical either." And the only thing I do is write and throw things. I really have no other no other skills. Um, so I made these garbage cans in the Kent uh, rain. Of, this is 1989-90. I remember listening to the Biner fumble game in the rain. Uh-huh. The famous play near the goal line going to the left, I believe. Um, then I ran out of cans, like literally like I ran, I built myself out of a job. I was, you know, out there, Mr. Hustle, but I didn't realize once the cans were built, they had no use for me. So I got a job two days later at a telemarketing place. I was, I was selling prepaid legal insurance. If God forbid, there be a need for you to have an attorney, we'll, we'll have an attorney at your disposal in your region. Uh, Do you of, mind spending uh, the next hour telling us more about that particular job? <laughs> oh, you, you asked for the whole story. Do you I want, want the to, whole story. For, that, that,
0: yeah. what, that one, though, I mean, that sounds well, like a job you could talk about for a while.
3: The, the great part about it was while I was doing that job, Jesse okay. Jones leaves a message. Uh, he still works at Channel 11 at the time. <laughs> he leaves me a message that I won't say what he said for this, this is a PG show, I'm sure, He's, he's like Al something Jaffe just called. They're trying to find you. Like they didn't have my number anymore because I'd moved. I didn't think I had a chance to get there at this point. I'd, I'm making garbage cans. Why in the hell is the ESPN going to call me? Now I'm selling prepaid legal insurance. No offense. It's actually a thriving business, so we shouldn't even make fun of it. Um, and so I go back for another interview. And again, it's better this time. They do a little tryout and okay, but they still don't want to hire me. Like, all right, what we're going to do is, Commission you to do the Goodwill Games. Remember in 1990, Mm -hmm. they were held in Seattle here. Bob Walsh, who passed away, um, put it together. Now I have a new job. I'm now selling long distance for MCI. Remember MCI? I do. Um, That whole deal?
0: Yeah.
3: Um, So I'm selling long distance to companies, calling up and trying to get them to switch from AT&T or Sprint or whatever they had. And I go back, get the interview, and now I'm doing the Goodwill Games, which was really fun. It was like, you know, amazingly Carl Lewis and Leroy Burrell and all that stuff was happening out here. Matt beyond and the 50 meter swim. And these were kind of like straighter stories. It wasn't like I like the football stories I did for a while. They still don't hire me. And for like three years, they just would string me. They would say, Hey, go down to Portland. This Tanya Harding case is going on or go interview Sean Kemp or do a story on Ken Griffey. I was like, they basically their Seattle bureau with, you know, no portfolio. It was just kind of, getting $250 every time they called me, hmm. whether I worked a minute or 20 hours. It was the same. There, there was no scale to it. It was just, here's how much you get for a day, whatever that day be. Uh, but I would like do extra credit. I would I would write a story and say, here's the story you could have had instead of just having me interview Griffey. Or uh, so four years later, ESPN2 starts. And remember the old ESPN2 is supposed to be hip and they had like the jagged, stuff on the screen, and the E, small E, big ass, all that stuff, uh-huh. but you had Keith Olbermann in a leather jacket, and Susie Colber, they were the hosts, and then Stuart Scott, Bill Pito, and Deb Kaufman, they did what was called the smash, and that was the person who came out at 28 after the hour, or 25 after the hour, and did a quick little update, here's what's going on in sports, now back to the show. So Keith ended up moving back to Dan, you know, to go back to the 11 o'clock Sports Center, the old big show, they called it. Stewart moved up, and they needed one more guy. And mercifully, after three tries, that was me finally getting hired. In fact, I remember telling Vince Doria, legendary Boston Globe editor, and he was he was one of our top guys there at the time. He retired. I said, Vince, I still don't know who the hell the fifth pitcher on the Cubs is, and I really don't care. But if you <laughs> tell me to do a story on a son of a bitch, it'll be a good story. All right, that's all I got for. Him. Oh, yeah. man. That was 1994.
0: That was amazing. That was amazing. And, and uh, you know, people are loving it that are following um, uh, online. And and uh, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned a bunch of names in there. And one of them jumped out to me. I, I've always been a huge Susie Colbert fan. Like, I mean. She's I mean, good. She's great.
3: Is and she, a good athlete. Okay. Tell, well, me, tell well, me. We used to. Take behind the scenes a little bit at ESPN yeah. with some
0: of the personalities.
3: We used to play flag football. Well, Stuart and I played in a legit, like, hardcore flag league, you know, one team was all cops, one team was prison guards, one team was, you know, like gang members. We 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 had like each team had its own thing. And but it was like a fun, you know, like competitive league, but you know, respectful league down in Waterbury, Connecticut. But sometimes the ESPN people would just say, Hey, let's meet on a Saturday at noon and you know, go play like a fun pickup game. Susie'd be out there, and one day I just showed up and it started raining, and for some reason, Nobody shut up. They all, they all wimped out because of a little bit of rain, except for Susie Colber and me. We ended up like playing catch for 40 minutes and called it a day. But no, she's a good one and she's doing, still doing great work doing the NFL stuff. I just saw her last night on TV. Um, obviously we missed Stuart greatly. He, he, he and I kind of broke in at the same time. He was a little ahead of me. I remember the first time I met him, he'd already been hired. And I was coming in to try to take the job that, you know, he had, he had moved on from. And, and I, All of a sudden, I look up, and there's a wad of paper. Like, he balled up a script and threw it across the room and hit me in the face. So I picked it up, and I threw it back at him while I was on the air. And it was like, that was just like that moment. You know, like, we each kind of did mess with each other. But from then on, we were really good friends. We used to play electric football, the little plastic (laughs) vibrating board. We'd Uh play that while watching NFL games, while keeping stats on our electric football game. That's how nerdy we were about it. We cared. I love it. I love it.
0: Um Jeff, uh welcome to the show. Jeff's one of our co-hosts. Uh Just finishing a softball game, which, you know, is critical as, as you can imagine,
3: Kenny. September softball, the fall league. The, is it the fall instructional league? It was playoffs. The
4: season got – there was too many rainy days this year. Oh,
3: this is a summer league that extended to September 12th?
4: Yes, yeah, very rare. I live in Toronto. Toronto was a lot like Seattle this year with the rain, so.
3: Yeah, I like Toronto. I used to go cover some CFL games up there.
4: Really? Mm-hmm.
3: I was scared to go on the CN Tower, though. I wanted no business with that thing. No,
4: no, you don't want to go that high. So,
3: Jeff. Is that just an induction? That, that's it? He's just like, that's it? We just want to know that he played so- – did you win?
4: No, actually, we lost. We got eliminated from the playoffs. I'm sorry to hear that. It's okay. It was, it was a little late in the season. I was tired of September baseball.
3: Does, does anybody have you in their softball rotisserie league? Like, anybody picked you this year? I would
4: hope not. I would really hope not. So I Points for walks.
3: I had a terrible softball. Experience. I used to play in that that legend softball game they always have. You know, before the home run derby or after. Yeah. They play it on a Sunday, then they tape it and run it after the home run derby. And the last All Star game. Remember when Yankee Stadium went away? They held the All Star game there that year. So we we literally were playing in one of the last athletic events at Yankee Stadium. Our team was down by one with a runner on two or one out. No, two outs. I take it back. Two outs. They walked Wade Boggs to get to me. And I go up. <laughs> lazy, lazy fly ball. It was hit okay, but it was nowhere near going out. Lost the game. And Wade Boggs, I still don't know if he was serious or kidding. Like he treated me like a rookie who screwed the championship for the team. It's like, you you messed that up. We could have won this thing. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> I am like, not I have to ask you who who would win in a forty between you and
3: Rich Eisen? Um, well, I got a ruined ankle as I described earlier. I'm icing it right now, so I don't know. I uh, to run, I have to wear a brace. I usually like barefoot the best. Like like when I go to work, I wear flip flops. Like I just refuse to wear shoes at this point. Uh-huh. On Sports Center, I have dress shoes that are cut in half, and I just kind of like step into them like like clogs, I guess. If uh-huh. I wear shoes, I have a bad day. If I don't wear shoes, I have a better day. So I go to Nino Pribick if you need some chiropractic work in the Kirkland area. He he wow. basically he saved my life. My I went, I went in four years ago, I think it was five years ago, and I went to one doctor who was going to fuse it, one doctor who was going to replace it, and the third one was going to cut it off. And the amputee people, this is real, because I was in like pain every day. It just it sucked, and and I got turned on to this brace guy. Who makes these braces for soldiers? Basically, it's like having a fake leg, but you get to keep your leg. So the thing's amazing. You can run with it; it doesn't hurt. And so when I do athletic things, I put that on. Otherwise, I'm barefoot or in Snoop Dogg slippers or something. <laughs>
0: uh, let's turn it to a little bit to the Seahawks game. And but haven't we covered Seahawks that game and... enough?
3: I feel we really we kind of <laughs> dwelled on the. the no, the I
0: don't thing. think we need to spend much more time on the game. Okay.
3: So, but but you, I'm interested in. We better blocking. Blocker people need to block better.
0: Okay. People that yeah, they need to stand in front of somebody I or hold help. somebody, but, do something. But I'm curious. <laughs> like you, you covered a lot. You've been behind the scenes a little bit with with some of these these players and coaches. Um, when you have a game where there's calls that you know are pretty egregious, you know, game changing calls, and they have to say the right things publicly, you know, what what do you think goes on beyond behind the scenes there? What do you think of, the, of what, what those calls were on Sunday? Do you think they were Horrible, or you think that that's just Seahawks, you know, fan being a uh, Seahawks fan?
3: No, I mean, the, the one the, – the the touchdown, the pick six, for starters, that was probably a, technically a block in the back. The, the mistake – the sin was in blocking him at all. Just, like, just let him go. Like, why even try to make a play? I'm sure he was trying to help him be aggressive, but he barely touched him. That, that one was right on the fence. The punch – I don't, You know, when I first heard about it, because I just heard the referee describe what happened, I'm like, what is he doing? He's out of control. Then you see the play, and he was they were really just kind of wrestling. And I, I think what had happened is I think they'd kind of been warned. You know, like in an NBA game when the, the ref has mm-hmm. had enough of the coach, and he like, one more time, the guy could say nothing, and he's going to throw him out just for looking at him. So I think they had a quick trigger to, to you know, discipline one of those two, because there would already been a penalty earlier, right, on Cobb. The earlier, very early in the game. He,
1: They'd had some interaction. Thing, I think it
3: was, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jimmy Graham definitely got mugged on that. I think he might have jumped up and caught that. Like That ball was really barely out of bounds. I think it hit just past the white. Um, But that said, they kind of even out over the season. So, I mean, Green Bay could still go back to the ridiculous call on the golden tape play if they wanted to. Or they could say, why in the heck did our guy try to – do what he did and, and box the game in the NFC Championship. So uh, the, I, they can't just blame that because they were so flat on offense. Their defense was amazing. Like, you know, 0 0, 3 3. Like, you know, it was just, they were giving up nothing. Aaron was frustrated. But if you give Aaron Rodgers enough reps out there, eventually he's going to beat you. And that's what he did. I mean, some of the, like, one of his best throws, if you remember, it was incomplete to his left side. Should have been caught. I forget who was going up for a big, you know, put a hand out and just missed it. And Aaron was like, how did he not catch that? But I remember his body was sideways. And I mean, Aaron, Aaron's, if not the best, he, you know, he's one, two, three, he's right in there. So they they were lucky to have no points scored against them with the time Aaron had. him. Mean, it shows how great the coverage was because a lot of those times he was buying more time. He had four and five seconds to throw and either had to throw it away or he ran effectively a few times, surprisingly not that he can't run, but you know I'm saying, you don't expect him eating up a ton of yards. Uh, I just think Russell Wilson can throw the ball great, but if he can't drop and set up and step up like, you know, regular quarterbacks do, and he's always going sideways and he always has to roll, they, they need to fix it. I will say this though, for a bunch of years, it's kind of been the same case and cable figures it out. And by week three, they look like a different team. And by week nine, they look like a great team. And I wouldn't panic in the least. Like I, they're, they're going to win a bunch of games. I still think they'll win the division. I think new England will still win 13 games or something like just because they had one bad game. Everybody freaks out about week one and week two. I'd rather win than lose. I'd rather be four zero or six zero or whatever, but it's a long season. The smart players know December matters. If you're, if you're in contention to win your 10, 12, 13 games, then you know, you're going to be okay.
0: Jeff, Nathan, I, questions you guys have I, I have one more I want to ask Kenny but but other things you guys want to ask
4: yeah I'll ask one um you always seem like a guy with a pretty uh, laid-back demeanor what's your demeanor like during a Seahawks game are, are you um, are you emotional do you get really worked up or are you just for your years in media are you just pretty relaxed
3: um well, I'm definitely a home fan and it's funny I think they've let us express that more we were supposed to be like robots we came from nowhere yeah and now, even on the shows, we'll clown around. I'm always mentioning the Sonics getting, you know, stolen. And actually, the, the original sin was the fact they were sold, not, not stolen. I, I blame the original sin on that one. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'd say my most enjoyable thing is to watch it either just with one friend or Gretchen or even by myself. I can, you know, I like to be in the game. If I'm doing that, I'm pretty, pretty quiet. If, if it's late in the season and it matters – I might yell at the TV once or twice, but I'm not like a screamer complaining about the refs and I don't drink much. So like at the games, I'm, I'm pretty low key, but I'll tell you what the year that they won the title, I definitely, cause it was so, you know, they did make the super bowl, the Detroit one where they lost to Pittsburgh, but it was so new and the, the defense was so great. And you could just, there was just this feeling, you know, this, this team had some destiny. So I, I think when they won, when Richard knocked the ball away from Crabtree on the ball to the corner, And by the way, think if that ball had been caught, how different would things be for uh, number seven down there? Um, But that's a side story. Um, I I think I punched my producer in the face, literally with a closed fist. That's how I celebrated. And he didn't even care. He was into it too. We were doing this big story on Richard Sherman at the time that ran on E60. So I'd say that was the most hyped I ever got that season because it was was something. The parade was amazing. I mean, all, all of it was kind of magical. So... I was just as geeky as the next fan during that time, but more often I, I got over the Sunday loss as I drove home for my nieces. Like, whatever week two, bring it on. I think it's funny though. Most people, especially adult males, and many females too, kind of live through their success. Their like, your life is dependent <laughs> on the success of your local team. It's just kind of funny. You measure your worth by how they're doing, which is kind of silly, but. The players, the mature ones, know it's a 16 game schedule. You could even lose three in a row and come back from it. You know, you don't want to, but they know it's a long season. They know they could have won that game. They didn't, and you accept it and you get ready for the next game. By the way, I'm wearing a throwback Sonics t shirt. If anybody had noticed that's what that, was. You that's mentioned crazy. Jeff and basketball. I did a story with him a couple times, actually. The first time I met Jeff Hammett, he was doing a poster shoot with Sean Kemp at the old Coliseum, which they would call the key arena. Um, and I just met him that day. We just kind of like clicked and we've been friends ever since on and off, you know, being in touch with each other. Um, he's playing in that tournament this, this weekend. In fact, um, the next time was for the magazine and we went over to, remember that gym over in Fremont? I don't oh, think yeah. it was this.
0: Yep. Uh, sound mind and body. That's where I yeah. used to play with Jeff all the time.
3: But they, they don't they don't have a gym there anymore, do they?
0: They don't. It's been remodeled. Chris Cornell, rest in peace, was yeah. also there quite a bit. There's a lot of interesting personalities of that gym.
3: Well, we we went and did a shoot there, and I did not have any old Sonics gear, so the producer got me this on the internet. My daughter stole it from me for a year. I had no idea where the shirt was. <laughs> I think it was at her mom's house or it was maybe in her closet, which, by the way, she finally cleaned out tonight. Uh, so I've recovered my shirt. It's my favorite shirt. It fits well. It's faded. It, it, and it's taken me to my past. I, I mean, I can remember where I was when they won the title in 79. I was in Las Vegas just now going to UNLV. Like I just moved down there watching it. I couldn't. I, I think I went to a couple of the playoff games, the early ones, but I was down in the spring down in Las Vegas. And it, what felt great was giving the, all the LA guys a hard time because they were huge Laker guys. And we beat them on the way, you know, in the playoffs, listening to Chick Hearn on the radio in my little apartment. That's how I, that's how I covered the Sonics that you're on the radio with Chick Hearn calling it. That's we ever going
1: to get a team back?
3: Say that again, Nathan? Are we ever going to get a team back, do you think? I'm I'm not all that hopeful. No, me neither. I mean, are we going to take some retread that fails in another city? Are they going to really do an expansion anytime soon? I don't know. I. I miss them, but I don't languish about it. I, like, I just root for Kevin Durant, wherever he is. That's all I got left. Russell Westbrook, I guess you could say that, because we drafted him. He never played for us, but he drafted that spring or that June, and then they took off. I mean, I'm so old, I was here to lose the Seattle Pilots. I used to go to the Seattle Pilots, <laughs> who not all our listeners know are now the Milwaukee Brewers, but yeah. they had one season, 1969, Took, I think, last place. Tommy Harper led the American League in stolen bases. That's a good fact. And Jim Bowden wrote the famous book, Ball Four, a lot based on that season in Seattle. Tommy Davis, the great National League hitter for the Dodgers, he was a pilot for a while, and they traded him for some reason. Um, but then they went to spring training, and the finances were falling apart. And the story goes that the equipment vans drove to northern Arizona, and they were going to get a phone call at a phone booth or call in Either drive to Milwaukee or drive back to Seattle, and they became Bud Selig and went to to become the Milwaukee Brewers.
0: Well, the the shirt suits you well, and I, I saw one of the things. You, I'm sure you got a bunch of memorabilia, and I saw watching on Twitter a while back when the hurricane happened down in Texas. You started auctioning stuff off. Um, you know how how did that all end up? How did it go?
3: Well, I wanted to help in some way, like I think all of us have. You know, even if you're given five bucks, whatever you're doing is more than they have, in – and I think, I mean, it's going to take billions of dollars from the federal government to do the, the big, you know, the big doings. But the regular people, you know, giving money to a food bank or United Way or, you know, a church, like whatever it is that you think is going to help those communities. So I threw out an idea that didn't exactly get off the ground other than a few of us did it kind of on our own. I just on Twitter said, hey, I'm going to auction such and such. Who wants to bid on it? Let's do the bidding over the next 10 hours or whatever, you know, whatever rule I set up. And we had some really good people. This guy in Las Vegas bid on everything almost like a hype man. Like he was just throwing out bids to get the the bid to come up. He ended up up on the second auction getting a Jerry Rice signed football. There was a Marshawn Lynch, the beast quake, you know, the earthquake he caused on the run against New Orleans. And the improbable, they were what, seven and nine that year and they beat New Orleans. Um, And he autographed that as well. I got that Marshawn and Earl Thomas through a bowling event a few years ago. And the money went to their separate you know, foundations. And I had no money on me and the and the ATM didn't work. And also, it was just like sketchy, like how I was going to come up with the funds. I tried to borrow money from Marshawn to buy that poster from him and I'd pay him back later. And he's like, man, I don't have any pockets. He literally had <laughs> no pockets. I think he would have done it for me. But I I finally, they got their little, you know, those little cube things, whatever they're called, you know, for the credit cards. Um, They got that to work, so I was able to buy it that day. And then, in turn, we helped somebody else with it. The other one, sadly, I had a Pearl gem set list. And there were no, like, people either didn't get what I was talking about. It was from the Seattle show, like, four years ago, three years ago. Uh And a security guard gave it to me. And I didn't know what he was giving me. He said, put this in your pocket. He'd like basically stole the, the thing from Eddie, apparently. Um, but whatever, their their concert was done. What did they need a piece of paper for? So this is a good story going back to the race for a soldier thing. One of the guys who spoke at one of our events, named Frank Hill, tells the story, and you know how many veterans were losing, you know, to suicide. He was at the end, like he literally, you know, it was he was having his moment. And he played, I don't know the name of the song, but he played a Pearl Jam song that he claimed saved his life. So I sent him that set list just to kind of commemorate it all and then made a copy, and it's up there. I kept it. I bid 400 bucks, and I'm, I'm keeping my own set list. And the other one was the helmet from the catch, you know, the famous Dwight Clark catch from Joe Montana against Dallas. Oh, yeah. And so there was this helmet that they had at their auction. Joe drew the play on the helmet, and they both signed it. So those were pretty worthy auction items. Hopefully, other people are doing inventive things to to raise some money because now we need to help the Caribbean and, and Florida as well.
0: Yeah, definitely a lot of a lot of stuff going on. And um, Kenny, it's been amazing having you on. Um, I really appreciate you uh, jumping through all the technical hurdles. And hopefully, you remember your password when
3: you, you find it. Oh, it's a, as it's well. a pretty solid password. Um, okay. Why is there a time limit? Isn't this the internet? Like, no, we're happy matter? to
0: keep going. I, I, uh, I we can keep, we can go forever, man. Sure. We're, we're we're going till nine. We're about to start talking about the 49ers game,
3: but do you it's, have it's, other people you need to talk to. Are you bringing in no, King or something? Absolutely like, not.
0: Absolutely not.
3: Just what uh, about what about yeah. the weird questions from the internet people that you know could be anything? We'll do that. So, All right.
0: Got that we got that coming up right now. Don't ask about the
3: White Sox middle relief. I don't <laughs> care.
0: Let's let's give uh Jeff and Nathan a shot while I uh check for people what questions they have.
3: Unless this interview sucks and you guys want to do something else, I wouldn't be offended. I could do other things. Let's keep going.
1: Kenny, you uh you mentioned that early on you wanted to do just more straight news and you seem like you're pretty you're involved in a lot of organizations and, uh, you know, you you care about a lot of this, a lot of what's going on is sports, what you want to keep doing. Are you looking, have you thought about going out and getting more of just a regular news anchor type job?
3: No, if I could do anything, it'd be more at this point, more like, I mean, I wouldn't mind trying to do a documentary. I have actually one that I'm in the very early stages of working on and because of my schedule, Where, when I'm home, I'm off. You know, I have my daughter, she drives now. Like, what am I doing except handing her $20 bills occasionally, like, you know. I have little to do here other than work out and repair from my trip and do, you know. Today I had to get license tabs and an oil change, all right, that was my day, uh, among other things. But I'm always kind of like, got my hand in other things like commercial deals and pitching ideas and whatnot. But I'd like to do that, or a buddy movie with Aubrey Plaza, you know, that would be fine. Sure. She was at our wedding. She, she, yeah. and Allison were in my show. Remember, we did that show called Main Street that was on yeah. ESPN.com for a while. And I swear, I feel like I made all their careers. They all went and did big things. I'm still <laughs> with ESPN. The Aubrey Plaza, who from Parks and Recreation, Allison Becker, a lot of commercials and movies and parks. Uh, John Glazer, who's done a bunch of big things at Adult Swim. Ben Schwartz, who with Don Cheadle does House of Lies. Uh, Mulaney. He's doing some big damn thing on Broadway, right? Uh, who else? Uh, uh, I'll, I'll think of one more guy. Lenny Jacobson. He's done a few things. So it's funny. All these people, we kind of caught them at the right time, where it's clear they were very talented and they were going to go do something else. But we got lucky, and they all got to be in our show, or we got to be in the show with them. And then when they killed that show, for reasons still unknown. Um, I pitched an idea to do a takeoff on Wide World of Sports, the old show that we all grew up with, or at least my age did. We just called it Wider World of Sports. We added an R to the first word. We thought that would be enough. And so for like three years, I got to travel around the world and do these insane stories. You know, We did the elephant polo, and we did uh, bungee jumping in New Zealand, and a horse race called the Palio in Italy. If you look up my name in Palio, P-A-L-I-O, uh, what else we do? We did uh, Highland Games in Scotland, Hornusen in Switzerland. I I, volcan- I went to a volcano in Nicaragua and surfed down it. Not really surfed. I sat on a piece of plastic, but it felt like surfing. You slid so, it down a volcano? It was amazing. And oh, Another crazy one was in New Mexico near Albuquerque. They do it every year, and you, you drive to 9,000 or 8,000 feet, and you climb another 1,000 feet. And then you play one golf hole that's two and a half miles away. So you can see the, the town. You can see the college where the hole is. But it's so far away, it's just ridiculous. But opening drive went like 850 yards. You're hitting at 9,000 feet. If you hit a ball 200, you know, it just keeps going. It's down a mountain. And then you have spotters that are chasing, trying to find your ball. If you lose the ball, you have to add a stroke. That's that's the way they play it. It helps to have like seven spotters. I only have two, but... Um, we got to do some pretty cool things. And then eventually they wanted me to return and do sports center as opposed to screwing around and flying on Lufthansa.
4: <laughs> You've got- Kenny, where's Kim Ilzong today?
3: He's an audio engineer for ESPN back in Connecticut. For those who don't know it, and it's, it's funny how it began. We, we were just kicking around the idea. This is back when I used to do the pretend football stories for countdown. Oh, great. And one night, he was the audio guy, you know, in the, in the studio. And I was like, Max, his the real name is Max Kim. Do, do you, you ever been to Seattle? And he's like, no, I have not, you know, I said, would you want to go to Seattle? He said, of course I would, you know, he, his English isn't all the way there yet. So, so that kind of became a factor in our stories. It was just funny, the miscommunications, not making fun of him, but having fun with him. And he became Mike Holmgren's favorite guy. Every time I see Mike Holmgren, like at the grocery store or anywhere, He's like, how's Max doing? How's he doing? (laughs) So basically we pretended that the Seahawks had signed a player for a billion dollars because they wanted to win now. That was the the quote. And the claim was that he could play all 22 positions. The Seahawks staged a fake, you know, when they bring out the Jersey and the whole fake, you know, media conference. And we just went on a Wednesday when they had the regular press conference. And then for 10 years, every year we had a new iteration of what is he doing? Where, Where is he now? He got confused and went to North South Dakota border. Like he wasn't sure what the dispute was about. Uh, He hung out with Rick Ross. Matt Hasselbeck told him not to touch his car. He was the the punting fair catch coach one year. Like we would just think of what's the dumbest thing he can be now, and each year he'd be something else. But great guy, and he he's fully employed by ESPN back
0: then. Uh, We've got a couple questions on here. (laughs) These are great. Uh, White Sox middle. um one's about you and norm mcdonald and the the battle of of the dry humor like your delivery do you by any chance know norm mcdonald and have you guys done any work together no
3: but we do have a funny connection about 10 years ago jimmy kimmel's good friend who daniel Kellison, who helped produce like the man show and a lot of jimmy's early stuff told jimmy he's looking for a guy like me to do this he's going to try to pitch a show to comedy central and Jimmy's like, I know. Why don't you call him instead? So, Jimmy gave him my number. He called me up. We met. We had this, you know, nice little connection. And we pitched. Basically, there was the Daily Show, right, with John Stewart. And the idea was that we were going to do the sports version of it that would follow, right? We'd have the news, then the sports. And it got to the point I thought it was really going to happen. You know, it's so sort of like the Sports Center you want to do. That's basically you know we know where there's a line that you can't like swear obviously and you can't go too far and we thought it was going to be happening and then it just didn't happen so i've you know went back and signed another deal with the espn and then some years later i get a call from daniel it's like he'd cheated on me he felt bad that we had this thing and now he's doing it with somebody else so comedy central ended up doing it and norm macdonald ended up being the host i don't even know what they called it but it didn't it didn't stay on very long so but no he's a very funny guy
0: um staying with funny, who's the funniest athlete you've
3: ever met? Oh boy, that's a tough one. Yeah, Aaron is very funny. Aaron Rodgers is very dry and he's very smart. You know, he's very very subtle. We did an interview with him, you know, he played in that Tahoe tournament, the the celebrity whatever they call that thing. And they wanted me to interview him about his golf. And immediately, like very first question, his answer was so ridiculous. I just knew he was ready, all right, we're not doing a regular interview anymore. We just kind of went all over the map. I did ask him one serious question at the end about Kaepernick. And you if you saw the Mina Kimes interview, he was, he was a little more forthright about that, The definitely Collins being blacklisted. Um, Jared Allen, very funny. Very smart, very funny. We yeah, he's used, supposed to come play for the Seahawks. What's that?
0: He was supposed to come play for the season. I know.
3: That would have been interesting. He, you know, he was still playing, playing big time then. But I wanted him to win that Super Bowl so much. We did a story with him at the Super Bowl in San Francisco. You know, he's with Carolina now. And the joke was that at the media day, which is already just a ridiculous event, because everybody tries to out-ridiculous each other. You know, people dress up in costume, and it just becomes kind of a farce, you know. But it's an easy way for a lot of players to get the sound out of them and move on. So the joke of this story was that we, we leave the media day and go do something else. So we, we shot it to make it look like we were walking out with him, then we really shot it the next day. I think we just ended up at a 7 I don't even know why, but that, that seemed like it should be a good scene. But Jared's quick, and he probably did half a dozen of them over the years. We had certain teams that were always the best ones to go back to. Strangely, New England was one of our favorites, or they seemed to accept us. Belichick would sometimes like draw a line through. Nope. nobody's saying that. You know, you'd cross out something. <laughs> um, Green Bay was great to me. Minnesota and obviously Seattle.
0: Well, speaking of Seattle, uh, someone wants to know
3: your best Matt Hasselbeck story. Um, well, I didn't explain it very well, but you had it was they were playing Detroit, and we were staying at the Fairmont. As I still live in Connecticut, so we were downtown. It's Max, the guy we were just referring to, and Matt Doyle, my producer. We were having such a good breakfast. They have the brunch there at the Fairmont Hotel. We kind of forgot what time it was. And all of a sudden, somebody looked at their clock, and we're supposed to be there shooting at 9.30, and it's 9.21 or something. So we sprinted out, like just threw money at the table, and go running out. And I drove down Fifth Avenue way too fast and ended up pulling into the Seahawks parking lot like at 9.30 and 20 seconds. We got there in five minutes, and... (laughs) The, the premise was that Max is begging for his job back. He wants to come back to the team and Hasselbeck is supposed to tell him, just go away, just give up on your dream. Go do something else. And in the moment, Max kind of put his hand on, on Matt's car, his real car. And Matt was just, don't touch my car, please. You, if you look it up, <laughs> it'll be funnier then. Um, in that story, we pretended he walked across America to get into yacht sales in Miami right before the 2008 recession. So, and then he ends up being a highlight player for a while and then he meets Rick Ross. I, I think that was the chronology. <laughs> um,
0: so, that there's some there's some actual, uh, oh, well, here's a good one. Um, well, what do you think of Richard Sherman? What's your I like take? him. Yeah, what's your take of Richard Sherman? I'm a fan.
3: He's, you know, great player. Um, I thought... I don't know the truth of this, but I almost think Muhammad Ali is one of his idols. I almost think he kind of did a Muhammad Ali early. Like he he had this outsized, like he was a character almost. You know, the whole thing about the Crabtree deal. Because he's actually very thoughtful. You know, he went to Stanford. He's like four point plus. So, you know, he's a rather sharp guy. Knows the game. He's like a real student of the game. And I love having him on the team. He's one of those guys you really want on your team. So it was surprising. I, I don't even know the whole story. Did he want out? Did they want to move? Like, I didn't even know really. And it doesn't matter. He's here. He ain't going anywhere. I, th- I think he's a Seahawk for life, if I were betting money.
0: Um, another one, uh, this is this is mine, honestly, but uh, like my experience, and I'm curious much more about yours, has been uh, the athletes, the pro athletes are in general pretty humble and easy to talk to and down to earth. It's actually ends up being a lot of the folks um, around the athletes, the media and others that end up having a little bit of an ego. Um, I'm curious if that's just my experience or you know, you've know, you found the players to be pretty down to earth in general.
3: Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, you know, in any pool of people, whether they work at Boeing or their Seahawks or whoever, you're gonna have your great ones and your less great ones. There's gonna be some guys based on his background or whatever, but. In, yeah, football especially, I mean, most of these guys, you know, went to college four years and they had to work pretty hard just to get in that position. And it's so competitive, like, like that last cut when they, when, what's that number, you know, 890 more guys get cut all at once. It's, 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 and, and the Seahawks do it doubly. So remember the first couple of years, Pete cut like 300 guys. They had more transactions than any team, you know, ever. So and and so he means it, and, and it was funny because remember when they signed Flynn because he had that six touchdown game, he gets like a zillion dollars and he, he could throw the ball, but it was off kind of wow, he looks really good and he's not getting a chance. let's take him. but I remember then they drafted Russell Wilson, and I didn't know all that much about him you know because he played baseball and he went to a couple colleges, so it, it it was strange to hear Pete say, the job's open, this Russell Wilson guy might, and I thought he was just saying that. You know, for, for the public consumption, like Flynn obviously is going to be the guy. I and mean, then next thing you know, he takes over. But I mean, that just kind of shows to the heart of how competitive it is that nothing is secure unless you're Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees so, or Philip Rivers. Maybe Philip Rivers. What's your? Uh... Or ben Roethlisberger. He's nobody's beating him on. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I would ask a question. I, yeah. I was really happy for Marshawn. And I thought it was kind of cool. I mean, there's probably some people out there that don't agree, but I'd say high percentage of Seahawks fans are very happy for him. He gave us great years of service, played hurt, played, you know, fought through stuff. Did, did he. he was just an instrumental figure, you know, in the success they had. And for him to get to go back and finish, you know, where he grew up, and it's just cool to see. I think Oakland is going to be the AFC team. The one seed in the AFC? Yeah. And and also how misunderstood. Marshawn just didn't like convention. He didn't like to, let's talk about third and two, and let's talk about how we came out firing in the second half. All those generic, you know, cliche things. He just just wants to play and go hang out with his friends. Like, he, he just didn't want to bother with all, you know, the ceremony of it all. So for some reason, then that made him a bad guy or people called him a thug, you know, because he had cornrows or something. I mean, all of it was just so preposterous because he's actually like a very charming, funny guy, you know. He, he can have that, that fake mean stare that's just to drive predators away. You know, it's not really that <laughs> like he's a bad guy. I, I did his charity auction in Seattle um, a couple of years ago to Edgewater he, and he was up on the mic for, like, 20 minutes. We had to, like, wrestle it. Like, the show was going too long. Like, Marshawn, we're good. So if he has something to talk about, he, he can speak about it for quite a while. But he, he just wasn't about doing the regular thing where you got to go talk about third down efficiency or whatever the hell they well, want. Now, to
0: you've, now you've done it because you brought up Marshawn and, and down efficiency. People want to know if you would have run it from the one-yard line.
3: Um, I would have faked it and rolled to the short side and either Russell goes in or lobs it and now, now it's third down if you miss. So I, ne- I wouldn't necessarily have given it to him. I would have faked giving it to him and done something off it. But the more they talk about it and, and New England says the same thing, they were in, their package that they brought in was intended to stop the run and force Seattle to do something else. So unfortunately, you know, it turned out the way it did. But there were so many flaws in the play that was called. I didn't have a problem with the call. It was more about how they ran it. Curse got jammed by Browner. Lockett didn't get into the route as quickly, maybe as he could have, and Russell threw the ball up the. You know, I mean, he threw it like you do in the middle of the field, as opposed to like his hip. So like go three or four things right there. And by the way, Curse was wide open after he finished and broke to the corner. Marshawn was wide open to the left. I mean, you could look at that play a million times, and and we'll never forget it. There's no way. People say, put it behind you. Like, we'll, we'll never forget it. We were, I was at that game and I was 100% sure. I was like, don't score too quick. Let's yeah. waste it down. You know, yeah. Don't give Brady the ball, because he was throwing pretty well. And then it happened. In 21, Butler made the play of his life. So, I mean, and they, they say they had practiced for that, what do they call it, like a stack formation. Mm-hmm. New England had practiced and practiced. They, they somehow knew it was coming. Like, he, how he got around two guys like that was, was, was a hell of a play. But, yeah, I don't think we ever let that go. But at the same time, somebody was knocking on Twitter just the whole thing. I was like, wait a minute. They made the playoffs, what, five straight years? They made two Super Bowls. You know, they're likely going to win their division again or at least be up there. for Like, it's it's easy to, to be an offensive coordinator sitting in the 200 level. It's, it's much easier from up above. I When I sit in the press box, if I do it that way, I see the field better than the quarterback because I'm not being rushed by 300 pound people trying to murder me. You know, it's it's very easy from a distance. It's funny how many opinions you get to. Everybody wants to, you should've done this, you should've done that, but um, hopefully they they get it together and and look different this next week, which they should because they're not playing the same kind of team.
0: You good for a couple more?
3: Sure. All
0: right, two more. Uh, One uh, question just about, uh, do you think that the NFL- How much am I getting
3: paid? Oh yeah, we've
0: got the, I told you, you know, if, if you're in Seattle area, I can get you some paliachi pizza anytime you need. We to.
3: use Pagliacci pizza. We use the one on, uh, by Juanita.
0: It's, it's good stuff, dude. But I agree. already, I made dinner.
3: I made dinner tonight for my daughter. and I. It was a pretty solid dinner. Well,
0: well, I don't need know what it was. What did you make?
3: We, we grilled, uh, sort of like steak tips, you know, the thing on a stick, uh, uh-huh. uh, sliced peaches. Oh, it was pretty a baked potato, and he chose not to bake hers. She she peeled it and ate it raw. That, that was her call. Interesting. And then, for some reason, I threw in a rolled-up tortilla. It just seemed like a, a complimentary item. And it worked out. Yeah. And then I had ice cream. Oh man,
0: this is this is killing me. Uh, so the question here, two questions, last questions. One is, uh, do you think that the NFL or NFL reps refs um, may be inclined to penalize the Hawks unjustly because of Michael Bennett and his newfound, similar to Kaepernick
3: um, position. I, I would sure hope they're better than that. I No, I don't think there's a conspiracy. I mean, because there are players, Michael Bennett's hardly the only one, and there are a great number of reasons uh, for people to be protesting, a great number of things these this day. Um, no, I, I'm not buying that. I mean, could an individual official, could could the umpire, could the back judge, have it in for somebody? Maybe, but I I highly doubt there's some conspiracy to because, like I said, there's there's players all all over the league who are, are you know then the NBA is going to have its thing too. So, and and by the way, on that whole thing, I know that's a very divisive issue, but I I just keep saying the flag is strong enough and what it symbolizes is strong enough to, to handle a couple people not standing up. Like I'm more bothered, and I come from a family of anthem singers. For those who followed the Seahawks for a long time, my nieces, they're, they're the little ones who used to sing the anthems at the games way back when. My sisters sung for years. My daughter sang at her high school graduation. So I stand for it, and and it's definitely like a reflective time. Either you're thinking about, your family, your country, you know, it's an emotional time usually, like the way it builds up and especially if it's a high ticket game, a playoff game, like, you know, it's a big moment, but I have no problem if somebody wants to peacefully dissent against anything they want to dissent against, like it's, it's part of our rights. And they're not stopping anybody else from standing. I'm bothered more by drunk people who barely remember it's time to stand up and they're talking Well, my niece is saying that that would bother me that to me, that's less, or that, that's a greater insult to the, the flag and the song oh, than a, is the guy protesting.
0: Yeah. It does not get brought up enough. And so, um, somewhat related on a lighter note, we'll finish with uh, a question here. Um, what was it like to raise the 12th man
3: flag? It was amazing. The, the, the only problem with it, I did it. I was asked by the Seahawks. This is a long time ago that I thought they were just out of famous people at that point. Like how in the hell am I getting asked? So, I got asked and the company said, of course, you know, that's a big honor, you should go do it. But it was weird because I had to split my time, like my mental time, because I was shooting a story about raising the flag while I was raising the flag, you know, in real time. And the story was making fun of me, like how in the heck did they pick me? Like that was the whole basis of the story. So we had the PA announcer tape some stuff, not to the real crowd, but separately where he, he makes, like, who is this guy? He's not even from Seattle. He's from Kent. He's like, and then my daughter, Annie, who is the one who had the raw potato and is now at the athletic club, um, she was eight years old at the time, and she played our reporter. We had her tell the story of her dad doing this, you know, big ceremonial thing. And I got to go and throw at the Seahawks because we played the joke that I thought I was the 12th man, like – like a sixth man in basketball. Like I thought I was going to literally play in the game. <laughs> so they, they put me out there. But but once I was able to separate it, like that moment where you're pulling it and the crowd, it, it was it was something. I kind of dorked out. I, I did. Do you remember like in junior high, you do like the quarter eagles. You'd like go to the left and go to the right. I was trying to get the crowd to do that, but not too many people bought in. Uh, and I also threatened to throw the football that I had from there down to the field. And I think I could easily reach it. My fear was I was going to hit some guy in the head because the thing is, once the flag goes up, remember the kickoff happens moments later. It, it would probably have been in poor taste to hit a St. Louis Cardinal on the head with the football or <laughs> something. Ram, I should say.
0: That's right. That's right.
3: Yeah. The Arizona. I'm back in the old days. That my, my old, our running backs coach played for the St. Louis Cardinals, Roy Stunt Shivers. Mitchell. Anybody got that name?
0: Wasn't that Stunt Mitchell?
3: No, Roy Shivers. Anybody heard of him? Uh-uh. Look at your phone. Somebody's going to answer. They say they'll remember him. Roy Shivers. Okay. Yeah. I'll he play. was the running backs coach at UNLV back in the day. All
0: right. Well, I know the reason I said Stunt Mitchell is because he used to be the running back coach uh, and used to play, actually, for the Phoenix Yes. NFL back in the day. so. Um, well, Kenny... This is uh this has been way more than we could have ever hoped for, and um maybe we'll get lucky enough to do this again and and have uh more to talk about. But uh you know as as one Seahawks fan um you know representing a a few, uh, I just say like thank you for 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 being representing this this region with a sense of humor and um, with class. And uh, I mean you probably ticked off unintentionally. Uh, six to eight different charitable things that you've been participating in, and I don't think you did it to to, to it for any for, reason other than that's just the way you live your life. And, it was for uh,
3: show. I was trying to get some notes. <laughs> no, honestly, I, yeah. I mean, it, and it's not even like that much effort. I get to go play flag football that also is helping a good cause. So, like you know, there's some selfishness in there too. But um, no, there. I think everybody, the expression, you know, like give freely. I believe in that. And I probably could stand to give more. So hopefully, and the the tough thing is, there's so many worthy and competing charities. You know, because you got your regular ones. And I'll say this facetiously, you know, your cancer and heart disease and and emphysema. You know, all, all these MS, all these things that everybody has known about for years, and they're still working on. But then you have the the things that just come up. You know, we couldn't have predicted. You know, these these catastrophes that. Immediate need is is there, and then you also have the ones that just mean something to you or your family. Like obviously, losing my nephew, we'll we'll do that thing for the rest of our lives. I assume.
0: Yeah, it's it's great stuff um, that you're doing that. Not great that you're having to do it, but
3: it's great right. that you're doing it. And uh, we really you appreciate you coming on. You have a way better backdrop. I I had a flood at my house. The dishwasher flooded the house while I was out of town.
0: Was this tortilla related? Or? No,
3: this is before a uh, faulty dishwasher. I come home and there's like towels on the floor and I was yelling at my daughters, like, why didn't you clean up the towel? My daughter was trying to stop the flood. So we had to move out for like two months while they redid the floors and the paint and, you know, fixed the kitchen area. So the, the, the walls are kind of bare. I will show you one thing in closing. I almost put this up for bid, but I just, I can't give it away. It would have to be in, like, a ridiculously rich person that wants to have this, but we might consider know. That is from the Seahawks championship. Oh. So it has their emblem and the whole thing. So this, when the Seahawks got their ring, they did it at the uh, the Music Experience Project, which now goes by a different name, I think. Um, that's Paul Allen's joint. Uh-huh. And they were trying to get Jamie Foxx to be the host. And he fell through, like something came up. He couldn't get there. It was going to be too late. And somehow, I mean, I might have been the 10th choice. They made, it, they made me think I was the next choice. So I got to run that show, which was a huge honor. Like I was nervous for it. Like don't screw it up. Um, and they gave everybody, the invite was this. You got a bottle of champagne in a wooden Seahawk box, which I've never opened. It's just kind of fun to, to have it on the mantel. But I didn't want somebody to take that from me for $400. You gotta add a zero or two, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's that's one to hold on to. And the Jerry Rice
3: ball is a little flat. It's kind of Brady flat. And I use that for indoor football. Like It's perfect to not damage anything. I'm gonna have to deflate another one of my footballs to have that same experience.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I would love to get into that with you at some point, too. Um,
3: well, come Saturday to CenturyLink. There's an all-day flag football tournament. Those of you who want to support the Crohn's uh, Foundation and or just come out and hang out.
0: You got that on this weekend, and then Saturday. on the 25th, you've got the, the Lake Harbor uh, event as well. What was the, the website for that again?
3: It's Race for a Soldier. If you go to Twitter... Just put in at race for a soldier. Okay. That's the easiest way to do it. That one's on the 24th, not the 25th. Awesome. Awesome. Registration closes Monday.
0: Okay. You heard it here, folks. You and, guys uh, want to
3: run? Why don't you guys challenge each other to run a half marathon right now? I think you can do it. A half marathon? Or, five, or 5K. You don't have to. You can do 5K otherwise. All right. I got a
0: 5K this weekend. I'll, I'll, I'll think about it. All right.
3: We'll get heard. Jeff out
0: here. He'll come out from Toronto. He's, he's got nothing better to do. <laughs> yeah,
3: I'll run right over there.
0: Nice. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Wait Ken. a
3: minute. I got one more for you. Hold on. Okay. You get, there's no time. It's the internet. I mean, <laughs> this, is, this is Gretchen. Can you see her well?
0: Yes. Yeah. Yep.
3: That's my favorite picture of her. That's at Green Bay. Remember the game where we got beat up? Like, Was it two years ago? What thirty eight to ten
1: yeah, last year or right. whatever? Yeah.
3: No, it was two years ago, wasn't it? That last, year? last year. Well, they have they played him three years in a row? Yes, yeah. they played him
0: they played him in 2015 as well. I think
3: I'm talking about the two years ago game. Yeah, they they
0: lost not by a lot in that game. They lost we actually, game.
3: It could have something to do with Aaron Rodgers, that he scores enough points to win games. He does have that tendency. Yeah. All right, we're really done now. I don't have any more things to show. I could, what do I got? Eh. You know, last thing, Doug Baldwin gave this to my daughter. We went to the San Francisco Thanksgiving game and he stole this from the team and handed it to my daughter and then I stole it from my daughter.
1: Is that the one where they (laughs) ate turkey on the field and everything? Yes. Oh, man, that was awesome.
3: Should we bring Annie on the phone? She's calling in. (laughs) Who is Annie? My daughter. Hang on a second. I have to get her. Annie, okay. don't say any do bad words. The dog? What? What? Do you know what Jimmy has a dog? Because there's this dog that's kind of like in between our garage and Jimmy's garage. Is it? Has it a collar, but I just don't know whose it is. And and I'll, I'll come up. There's a stray dog that she's rescuing. There's
4: not a stray. It has a collar and stuff. I don't know
3: whose it is. Is it kind of reddish?
4: It's
2: like brown and white. Okay.
3: We're going to go rescue a dog now. Good luck. <laughs> it
2: it's like eating the bush. I don't really know
3: what to The dog look. is eating the bush. Yeah, right. that makes perfect sense. Why Thanks wouldn't for coming. Doing that? See All you right. next time. Thank I'm you, my computer off. We're done. All right.
0: Take care. Wow. That was awesome. Wow. CJ Tumbarello, uh, folks, grabbed us Kenny Main. What an uh, amazing, amazing guest that was.
1: Uh, what did you guys think? I can... Uh, Spin a yarn.
4: (laughs) Yeah, between Mike Garofalo and Nagler last week, I didn't know if we'd be able to top those guys, but Kenny was freaking awesome. I didn't get to hear Natalie, but Kenny was, that was, that was a great guest, man.
0: Yeah. And, and Natalie was great earlier. Uh, We didn't get as much time to talk about the game, which maybe is a good thing. This is a good transition (laughs) week to say, forget it. And, I don't know that many people want to think that much more about the 49ers either. Like, I think the, the story there is win the goddamn game, um, excuse my, my French, like (laughs) that, that's one that, uh, they just got to win. And, um, hopefully people enjoy just hearing about a pretty amazing life that someone in Northwest led. And honestly, another one in Natalie, who's had a pretty amazing path herself and she's in the middle of her journey. So, um Mina Kimes, another person rising star we've had Danny Kelly so um a lot of really amazing people we've been able to get on the show and uh I have every reason to believe we're going to get more so um uh I think folks hopefully will click subscribe if you haven't already um in the future it will be a chance for people to join on uh, on the show it, itself and potentially ask some of the questions themselves uh if they want to go to patreon.com/hawkblogger um and guys, we'll have to figure out next week. I'll be traveling. And we'll figure out how to make that work. Um, but uh, any thoughts you want to parting thoughts you want to leave about the upcoming game before we sign off?
4: Um, please block the defensive line this week. San Francisco, their team is a lot like Seattle in the first year of the Pete Carroll era. But those guys got a pretty nasty front, and if they block those guys at all. This could be a blowout. Seattle's probably going to be pretty angry about this game and coming home. And Nathan, keep tweeting out those videos. Those are awesome, man.
1: <laughs> They're kind of awesome, depending on what I'm tweeting. If it's, if it's Quill, it's awesome. If it's a Fetty, maybe not. I love the videos, though. Great. <laughs> yeah. Nathan, closing thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'm excited for this game. It uh, hopefully they'll they'll thump them. Uh, this defense can maybe get some turnovers, you know, against a bad quarterback. And there's some. Hopefully, we'll get some context that you know, losing by a touchdown in Lambeau and holding Green uh, Aaron Rodgers to 17. It's it's still a good team, and they should come out and uh, should be a lot of fun this weekend.
4: I don't agree. I don't think Sheldon Richardson has ever played a century-length Field. The Jets played them in 2012 yeah after the next year so him with that crowd noise that's gonna be a lot of fun
0: that's that's my that's my kind of parting thought really is um i think that defense and the home opener with that crowd behind them against this quarterback and this offense um you know, I'm looking for two to three turnovers and some short fields to, to give the offense a leg up uh, that they need. Speaking of leg up, Blair Walsh had a very nice opener. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, and man, let's win this. Let's win this comfortably because uh, <laughs> offensive line that plays like the one that played on Sunday, every game's going to be close. No matter what team you're playing against, so um, the defense is really going to have to hopefully cure it, and uh, let, let's let's turn the page and, and get to a better better week next week. But uh, guys, thank you. I know there's a lot of sitting and listening, but uh, a lot of great stuff tonight. So um, have a, have a have a good rest of your evening, and uh, sorry about your softball game there, Jeff.
4: It's okay. Now I can only focus on the Seahawks, as it should be. As yeah. It
0: should be. All right. Thank you, everybody. Signing off. This is Real Hawk Talk. Stay tuned next week. Click subscribe.
3: And uh, we'll see you then.
4: Go Hawks.